Hello again, everybody. What's going on? What's up, chat? We got another uh, top 100 list episode for you guys. Um, at the end of this, we're going to be halfway through, if you can believe that. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, That's uh, going to be, what, 15 hours of discussion? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be 15 hours of discussion so far. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been, it's been, you know, a lot of good content for you guys. Uh, we, we talk about a lot of stuff, not just the films, but other things related to them. Yeah. And every single episode so far has uh, timestamps now. So if yes. you want to just like go and look and then you say, oh, I, I'm interested in that film. And then you just want to click on that and see our discussion. Yeah, we got our search engine optimization going. All right. So if you uh, just click through them and be like, I don't really care about any of this, but oh, they're talking about, you know, Christopher Nolan for 20 minutes. Maybe you want to check into that. Yeah. Like, oh, there's a Hitchcock discussion. Boom. Click on that. So that's yeah. that's nice. It's our present to you. <laughs> you want to see our uh, our pitch for the next Bill and Ted movie? There's that's in the previous. Episode. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you. I know Ibrahim's kind of like the rain man of this thing and he's had his list figured out and he's like, I know exactly what I like. <laughs> and uh, I am the opposite of that. And so my, my list is ever evolving. But I promise you, once we get into the top 50, it's going to get weird. You're going to want to put the kids to bed because there's going to be some stuff in here that is. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So, yeah. We were, we were talking before the show started about watching some films where you want to want to put the kids to bed maybe watch it after after midnight right uh, make sure your blinds are closed it. so that people close don't think you're your, weird close your blinds lock your doors <laughs> <laughs> make sure your roommates are asleep yeah 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 or <laughs> don't phones in yeah you okay. know roll how, however you like all right <laughs> so you you're really gonna get all types of films from our lists here like yeah. we're not just gonna go with the most basic answers it's like you're gonna get everything yeah. you could imagine yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um, not the uh, the AFI's greatest 100 films list. This is uh, just a kind of, you know, collection of influences that both of us have had that is just like, they're very unique, I want to say, these lists. Yeah, cool. So uh, who uh, who's going to start off today? You should, because I started last time. Okay, cool. All right. So yeah, so I'll start off. So my number 60 is a Vittorio De Sica film. Uh, this is Bicycle Thieves. Uh, so this film, he's very well known for making these what's called Italian neorealism mm -hmm. films. Um, I've seen Paisan. I haven't seen like I think he did one Germany Year Zero. Um, yeah. So a lot of these have to do with like post-war Europe, and he was known for casting like non-actors in these roles, so that it gives it more of a you know a feel like, and the, hence the name neorealism, like cast actual people who have those actual experiences so that they don't have to act. They can just be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a whole school of thought on how to, how to direct non-actors versus actors. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, this film is like really, really, really good. So this film, it's about this guy, Antonio. He's an unemployed man in uh, basically post-war World War II Italy. And it's fucked up. Like Italy is messed up at this point in time. Like there's no other way to put it. Um, so he's like, he's basically going trying to find small jobs. He's like, you know, hanging up posters, um, but he needs to have a bicycle for that. His bicycle is get stolen. So like, this is, he has to get a bicycle to provide for his family. And so then he, you know, <clears throat> basically kind of struggles to figure out what to do. Goes from stealing a bicycle and not. And, you know, this film was really good because like, it just, I don't know, it really humanizes the struggle that people have. Like this kind of universal thing of like, you know, throughout time there's always been 
someplace either there it's depressed or there's an economic downturn or there's a war or there's some kind of turmoil like the government goes crazy and you know you're 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 trying to live through that 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 tumultuous period and i think this really kind of you know does a great job of um creating a, a sort of universal perspective on what happens when you have to go through that struggle with like because you know he's he's doing these things that feel wrong but he's doing it because he's trying to help his family um and being able to put it in those terms of not like you know judging the person or like being like oh this person is evil because they're stealing it's like well you can see like the country is totally uh, yeah, every, everybody's like, struggling so you can see why this person was pushed to do that and it's sort of, you know, it's a call to action for us. It's sort of like, you know, we, last week we were talking about, you know, some of the Frank Capra films. And this is kind of like, I guess, another way of getting at a similar type of idea, but showing the stroke, like showing a good person sent to do things that are sort of immoral, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. um, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. And I just think this film does a really good job of like, and the performances are good. And again, these are non-professional The performances actors. are really good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm, but the, I'm, and his son too. His son's really, really great yeah. in the film. Like, yeah. And, and again, you know, it's amazing how well he's able to get these performances out of these non-actors. And it just shows his style, like how this works, how you can get something more real because this is true to them and their life. It's mm -hmm. not really acting. It's just being so. Yeah. The, that, that's one of the things that I'm always skeptical about of like, oh, we're going to cast non-actors or whatever that means. Right. Cause then there's people who say like, there's no such thing as non-actors. Everybody is an actor, la 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 la. But, uh, whatever method they, they had, I mean, that, that's an Italian neo really neo realism thing was like, we're just going to pick people off that had a certain look, you know, off the side of the road and we're going to make them fit this world because that is their world. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, some of these performances in these old, like neo realism films and, some of the like French new wave stuff has this as well. But like, I really like the way that this film is just kind of like, it's not over. It's not like too cinematic. It's just kind of like photographing kind of like those areas and just things are happening. And I, I like that a lot. I like it when just like the camera's there and then things are happening as opposed to just like trying to really go out of their way to like create like some kind of language for it. Uh, yeah. I, I really like this film as well. Yeah, it's he does a really good job of like, and like you said, there's no, you know, uh, it's all story. There's no like mm -hmm. directorial tricks or anything like that. Right. It's all story. It's all character. Uh, and it's very effective. It's very, very effective. And I think it's like one of the most effective of this sort of movement genre of films. Yeah. It's definitely referenced <laughs> as like the one uh, or at least like a starting point for to get into like the Italian neorealism stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely like seen as, you know, the the one. I like a lot of the Visconti stuff, the Chino Visconti. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where he got to start was doing neorealism kind of stuff. And like, you know, I think he did like the Postman Always Rings Twice, a version mm -hmm. of that, like an Italian version of that. Um, yeah, I, li I like that kind of stuff. Um, and again, De Sica, he's done like Paisan was another one, which was about, I think it was like Resistance Fighters or something like that. I forget. I haven't that, seen it in a minute. It sounds about right. I think it was like about the common folks or whatever. Yeah. 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 Like how they were reacting during mm -hmm. the war. Um, there, there's a lot of, I haven't seen, like I said, I haven't seen Junior Zero yet. I'm probably going to watch that at some point. Like yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he really kind of honed in on that type of filmmaking. That was like his specialty. And, you know, they're very effective because especially like this time period, you know, the post-war war, war 
it was very tumultuous for people in Europe. And that's kind of something, especially from America's perspective that we kind of forget. Cause like we, you know, it's not like we got bombed or whatever. Yeah. You don't really have a frame of reference for it. Mm-hmm. We didn't get bombed. We just, you know, did D-Day and then, you know, the war in Europe kind of ended and then nuked the Japanese. And then it's like, well, then it's over. And then we did, uh, what's it called? We did the, we basically gave Europe money to, to rebuild and mm-hmm. then things were good. It was peaceful. That's how we see it. But it was really, it was like the war was over. Germany was completely destroyed. Yeah. Italia, Italy was completely destroyed. A lot of, the a lot UK, of England was destroyed. Yeah. France. Yeah. It was, it was bad. Yeah. It was bad. It was really bad for probably, you know, a number of decades, you know, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. cookie dory. No, but that's what I like about it. That's what I like about these films that are just kind of like, we're just going to show you our neighborhoods and <laughs> we're just going to show you like what these because it's all again that was the approach there's no there's no actors no one's acting these are people that are there and then we happen to have a camera there and also we're just doing some scenes and telling a story but i love that i love that like simplicity of it you know i'm i i go off on like how much i like simple premises yeah uh so yeah yeah so that's my number 60 um it's bicycle thieves by vittorio de Sica. yes sir cool well my number 60 is <laughs> very 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 far removed from that uh, and I was debating whether or not to even leave this on the list, but uh, the more I, the more I like, I was looking at it. The more I saw this title, the more it like triggered this like uh, Pavlovian thing in my brain that I like of remembering watching it as it came out, as I was like a kid, a kid slash teenager, whatever in Romania. Uh, it is the score by uh, Frank Oz of all people. Uh, Frank Oz directed a movie with Yoda, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby De Niro, Edward Norton, and Marlon Brando in it. And it is, it is interesting. It's an interesting movie. Uh, I watched it all the time on repeat for the, for the reason that Edward Norton in this movie did a thing that in my brain at the time, I, I, I'd never seen anyone do it like ever period, which was, he was acting like he was mentally ill he had autism or whatever it was i don't remember exactly but he was acting that way but he wasn't actually that like his character again whatever he's just like he was a good con artist in the movie but more than that edward norton is a really good actor in this movie yeah and so for me i was just like i don't how is it so is he actually like dumb or like what's going on like i i I didn't understand it and then um For my kind of like underdeveloped film brain, um, there's a kind of a relationship. So basically the premise is this Marlon Marlon Brando in his uh, last role ever, by the way, uh, is like this epic like thief boss. And uh, Bobby De Niro is like one of his best guys. He's like his mentor and the apprentice, which is I mean, there's something also to be said about having a scene with those two in the same room. I don't give a shit how bad the movie is, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a cool thing to see. And so basically Brando gives them this job to rob uh, some museum or there's like a golden scepter or something. I don't remember, but uh, De Niro's apprentice is Edward Norton. And so he gets Edward Norton to go in and he's, he goes in as a janitor. And again, he's acting like he's mentally challenged. He's got all these like ticks and stuff, something that he, kind of edward norton does a lot <laughs> the, the the more like he's done a couple roles like this like motherless brooklyn kind of yeah. had a little bit of that going motherless on mm-hmm. um so he goes in but he has this relationship with this other janitor this older guy who i should really get his name um danny uh paul souls uh i don't i don't know what else he's done but he's so good in this movie genuinely because he's like really affecting like you can tell he really cares for this guy and edward norton's duping him the whole time so to me like that like kind of like hit me in the feels a little bit, even though this is kind of just like a dumb thief kind of caper kind of a movie. 
uh, that relationship between Edward Norton and Danny, the the janitor, was uh, really affecting because in the end of the movie, obviously he has to betray him and say like, no, I'm actually a thief. I've been playing you the whole time. I've been using you to get access to stuff, to cameras, to whatever, to set yeah. up this score. And uh, he's a piece of shit about it too. So Edward Norton, like me as an audience member, I was just like, maybe they're gonna, he's gonna start feeling stuff for him. And he just puts this old man <laughs> down. He berates him. He's cursing at him at the end. He's just like, you're a fucking piece of shit. I'm so much smarter than you. And it's just like that, that part of the movie, I really like that. And, you know, obviously Brando in the beginning. So all of these things put together and me seeing it when I saw it, I can't. I can't not put the score on this list and as high up as it is because I've rewatched it many, many times, many times, and it's entertaining. And uh, the performance is, you know, I'm a sucker for a good performance. And Edward Norton is kind of just uh, untouchable in this type of role. And uh, Bobby De Niro is just kind of doing his thing, but he's Bobby De Niro. So, yeah, it's a fun yeah. movie. I, I really like the score. Well, definitely, if you if you tell me that's the lineup, I'm I'm there. That's Brando, the De Niro. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, and I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> it's so good. It's so it, it's, it's, it's at the very end. It's like 2001. This movie came out. So it is very, very late in Brando's career. And it is late in De Niro's career by all metrics. And, uh, but it's early in, in Edward Norton's career. So that's kind of like the dynamic there. Uh, and of course, you know, Yoda, Yoda makes some pretty good movies. <laughs> yeah. He's solid. He's, he's solid all around. Um, yeah. You know, even the non puppet work of acting mm -hmm. is good. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so yeah. he's a he's a he's an all around talented guy. Yeah, that sounds yeah. Like a good movie. If definitely if you haven't seen the score, it's way more entertaining than it has any right to be. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, um, so my number fifty nine is another from uh, Mr. Bergman. Uh, this is uh, Fanny and Alexander, which is sort of mm -hmm. like one of his last kind of big films. Uh, it's a semi autobiographical period drama. Um, this film is, I feel like, very kind of similar to uh, Scenes from a Marriage in terms of the length and the sprawl and like how long it is. Mm -hmm. Like this is another one. Like they, there's basically there's like a film-ish version that they released, but then there's also like a version that was kind of supposed to be a miniseries, but they just said, okay, here's the whole thing, and it's, it's a movie. <laughs> Here you go. Cool. <laughs> so it's like I don't know how many. It's like close to 300 minutes, like that. The like the full version. Um, yeah, and it's just like he's just so good at like you know playing out these sort of interpersonal dramas that have these kind of higher level thematical elements and, you know, all this stuff like the, this is one character that's supposed to be sort of a stand-in for him. He's very imaginative and he's always like putting on plays and he's always doing this stuff. And it's, it's sort of like, I guess an eye into like how he got into film, you know, and theater mm -hmm. in a way. So it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is how, it's like the it's it's almost like you know if there was a movie about Steven Spielberg or something as a kid or whatever and it's like him playing in the backyard with like fucking dinosaurs or something. Okay. And it's, and it's kind of like, hmm, yeah. I get it. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so this is kind of like that. Um, but also again, like he's a master of like doing the interpersonal drama and making it compelling and mm -hmm. and putting stakes there. Um, yeah, this is just it's just a really really great movie and like. Any any filmmaker that can like give give you you know 200, 300 minutes of content and keep keep it compelling. You keep that it is, entertaining, yeah. That is amazing. That is absolutely incredible. And yeah, I mean, he's again, he's one of the great filmmakers of all time. Yeah. Uh, this is probably like sort of the capstone, like the the last big thing he did in his career. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a really really beautiful piece of work. Um, yeah. So this film. Fanny and Alexander, one of my favorites from 1982. Yeah, I obviously I've heard of it, 
but out of his entire like canon, it's probably the one I know the least about. Mm-hmm. So that's but when you when you sell when you're selling me on the like interpersonal stuff, if that's like what it's kind of like the the bread and butter of it, then like obviously you know you're in good hands. So that sounds like a sounds super 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 entertaining. Yeah, and I th- I feel like a lot of um, I think there was one that was almost on my list, uh, Amar Cord, which is like a Fellini movie. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, yeah, that's another. They there's this sort of like doing the semi autobiographical film. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. thing. That's another one that was successful uh, where, you know, it's kind of based on their life, but it's really just like about the things that influenced them as a kid and just like talking about their childhood mm-hmm. in a way. Like, uh, like, this, uh, is it kind of like a Truffaut thing, like 400 blows and some of his other movies that he would do that? Sort of. Yeah. This one's like sp- kind of sprawling, though, because like it's, oh, it's okay. pretty epic and it, it goes over a kind of longer period of time. Oh, OK, OK. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of a bit like that, you know. You know, it's interesting that because uh, now that you mention it, like a lot of these, uh, a lot of these big, uh, like big directors from different eras and different countries and stuff, and different kind of like cinematic like movements, they've all kind of done auto. Like they always, uh, directors always put autobiographical stuff in there, but I feel like they all have that one movie that is just like I'm gonna do my childhood, but like you know, change some things around here and there. But and like, but like, really, that's the thing that we use to like psychoanalyze them 50 years later. It's interesting to me that like none of the big kind of either the movie brat generation or like the new Hollywood guys have, have really done that. Um, maybe there's just like no room for it in in Hollywood, and you're always just trying to make the next thing and put dinosaurs in it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like you know. I mean, Spielberg kind of did that, right, with Close Encounters and E.T. and shit like that, but... Yeah, I feel like, for him, it's always like, you know, hey, Dad, F you. Like, he, that's pretty consistent mm-hmm. um, in his work. Like, the, there's always a dad who either hates kids or is trying to leave the kids or he's not okay. there. Right. But, but there isn't, like, one movie that is just... I don't know. I guess I can see it. I guess it's, it's more spread out. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, what's funny is like, I feel like there are people who like do the movies about those people, but it's not them. Like super eight is like, You're it feels right. like super eight feels like a Spielberg childhood 100%. movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's the nerdy kid and he wants to be a movie director, but yeah. he's, he's got a stupid camera. And then there's an alien. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I don't know about the other or like the Lucas or uh, yeah, you just you don't really see it like well, uh, you know Lucas. Lucas actually he did American Graffiti. American Graffiti is is actually that movie for him. That movie is fucking great. That's true. I love that movie. That movie. That's basically his because he's the nerdy guy in that movie too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in 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 so many ways, the the Godfather is like Coppola's version of yeah. that. It's like you know, big Italian families. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, with the with the and he's married to the the. The, the british girl yeah yeah and right. she's like kind of an outsider like what <laughs> yeah 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 so i guess it's just a different approach yeah because yeah. when when you put that thought in my head of like the the bergman movie where it's just like i'm playing in the backyard with the stuff like i was trying to figure out like what is the movie for some of these guys but they absolutely have them yeah they're just kind of more yeah uh, like- i'm court is probably the closest like actual comparison Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of other semi-autobiographical films that exist, but yeah, you're right. Like a lot of Hollywood stuff, they really don't do that. They really don't do, yeah. Which is weird because if if nothing else, Americans or like American culture and American movies are supposed to be about the individual more than anything else. You you so, would think so, yeah. You would think, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see if there's any quick lists I can look at here because that that is kind of an interesting topic. 
Um, I mean, we were able to come up with a few off the top of our heads, but okay, maybe, saying, it's, and, maybe, maybe it's like more worship uh, stuff. Were you going to say Annie Hall? Yeah, Annie Hall. Um, yeah. But like, a lot of these are European. Um, mm-hmm. Like the Louis Malle, uh, Arvarlos Infantes. That's that's a great fucking movie. Um, yeah. They, I feel like, yeah, it feels like more of a European than a... Yeah, maybe maybe American. the more I think about it, like the Amer- um, the big kind of American directors, what they really get off on is paying homage and kind of worshiping other like films yeah, and directors and stuff yeah. that, that that's more of an American thing. Like it's a lot more referential than the European stuff, which is very, very, very personal. And like, yeah, or, or like, like the people that are doing, so like they list here, like lost in translation. Sure. Okay. Um, the squid and the whale. <laughs> I love that movie. I love uh, that movie. And the tree of life. But like, this is not, you know, nah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking like I want to see John Ford's, you know, one. I know, movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not not his 100 movies put together, and then you can. Get but the like full John Ford, if he yeah. took his life and then made it a western. God, that'd be cool. Hey, listen, <laughs> we gotta stop doing this shit because some dickhead in Hollywood's gonna listen to these podcasts in like five yeah, years, maybe. and they're gonna get our ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah. But as you saw from that list, like, like there's no like really big American directors. Like they're all either kind of like the fringe kind of people. I mean, not to say that, you know, uh, Noah Baumbach or um, Terrence Malick are like not great directors, but they're not Hollywood directors. Correct. Yeah. They're not making Hollywood films. They're making kind of independent films. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like a, well, Terry Malick's a weird one, but like, it's, it's also like a product of their their time kind of a thing. Cause like, it is different. Like what is a big director these days? Is it the guy who can make consistently good Marvel movies? Or is it like, you know, you got like, I don't know, you're, you got Christopher Nolan and a couple other guys. They're, they're certain, I feel like they're just you know, okay. Who who's the A list, right? It's definitely like Spielberg. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just like you said, um, Nolan. But like probably, the, the probably Villeneuve. Sure. Um. And then maybe but, there's there's probably like a couple like like basically people like if this person's attached to a project it's probably going to get yeah right but the value they place on these guys is like can they make you know spectacle and can they make money versus you know like 50 years ago you know fellini could do whatever the fuck he wanted and he would make money so yeah it's interesting I, the other thing too is like a lot of this stuff now has become like uh i don't know it's, it's like you're you're the person who oversees the massive thing you know True. because yeah because I mean, look, if you and someone, there, there's this one woman. She was she was gonna be she was kind of indie, and then they they were talking to her to do a Marvel movie, and then she didn't do it. And she said, "Yeah, they basically said that I would direct whatever, and then they had the fucking second unit direct all the other stuff." They would do, yeah. No, I remember that story. She was like, yeah. "I I don't feel comfortable doing this because I've never done action movies." And then they're like, "No, no, 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 no. Don't worry about the action. Action's taken care of. We just want you to sign on to direct this movie." Yeah. And like that doesn't. Well, make then sense. why? It's like, then, yeah, then exactly. why? Like, yeah. So I'm, I'm not, even, I'm gonna direct like a third of the movie, and mm. yeah, that movie is directed by basically what's his name, uh, Feige. Feige is the one, yeah, who's like, I, I know exact, I know exactly how all this is gonna go. I have yeah. my second unit director, me and him make the movie, yeah. and then there's some other person who has input for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are a steward of this machine, and the machine lives with or without you. Yeah, I guess the the big Hollywood machine movies are not really conducive to the kind of like intimate personal stuff that like is, you know, was big or is big 30, 40, 50 years ago. But nowadays it's kind of just more indie side because uh, that's where you go for that stuff. 
I think yeah. it all ties back to the discussion that we've been having that are just like some of these like mid tier or like more interesting different kind of movies just kind of go other places. They don't really we're not talking in it like because when a movie, you know, when Bergman made a movie and it came out and it, it did, it was huge and it probably played for like years in, in theaters in Europe uh, versus, you know, if you had like the squid and the whale probably open to a limited release and it played in a couple of theaters and whatever, moving on. What, what was the war of the worlds was at that year. You go watch that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. they're just different things, but uh very, very, very cool. I have heard uh, again, I've heard of Fanny and Alexander, but mm-hmm. I just gotta, I gotta watch it. Yeah. It's another long one. Um, I like long. He's movies. got some great films. He's got some really great films. I, I really, really, really think he's one of the greats. He's definitely one of the greats. <laughs> Yeah, so that's my number 59. Number 59, okay. All right. Taking it back to kind of what we were just talking about. Uh, my number 59 is another one that, again, like I, we got to this point on the list and I'm like, what are the movies that make me feel things when I when I read the title? John Wick makes me feel things, dude. John Wick is number 59 for sure. Um, and we talked about it in some of the other episodes. I don't remember which ones. Like we've taught, we've had discussions about this movie, but the the reason it sticks out for me is because it was like very unassuming. Like nobody really expected this movie to to be what it is. To as certainly not to like revitalize and like deify Keanu Reeves in the way that he is now. Like right now, he's at the absolute top of his game. Um, but when John Wick came out, it was it kind of looked like another one of those Liam Neeson type movies of like the A-list actor from 20 years ago was going to get a movie and he's going to get revenge on some people, whatever action. But when it came out, like, and you watch it, you realize there's so much craft in, in that John Wick movie. Like the guys who made it were, you know, his, his stunt guys and um, stunt guys are like second unit directors for the matrix movies. And they, they knew they had a, like they had a relationship like this movie doesn't really get made. I feel like if they didn't have that relationship, Keanu Reeves and the, and the directors, uh, because they knew they played to their strengths. They knew the stylistic action. They knew what Keanu could do and what he was willing to do. The kind of like stuff he's willing to learn, to get in shape, to learn, uh, the moves, the gun foo, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, but for me personally, the reason I like this movie so much is again, the premise is simple, right? Uh, you've, the guy got a guy who's a retired assassin and you don't really know anything about his past. His wife has cancer or whatever, and she dies and she leaves him a dog. That's relatable. They kill his dog. That's very relatable. Uh, and then uh, you've got this incredible performance by Michael Nimquist, the uh, who plays the villain in the movie basically, but he's, he's only the villain in so far as like his son did a shitty thing. And it's just kind of like, he has to kind of, see it through basically he has to kind of like see this fight through uh there's great performances i think they get lost in this because there's so many sequels now uh willem defoe's in this movie as like john wick's friend he's great in this movie ian mcshane the kind of like head of the the, once they get to the continental Mm -hmm. you know and you kind of like it was just so unexpected for a movie that is this simple and the premise is kind of stupid to like just it just has so many layers and once they get to the continental and you see kind of like this hidden world of assassins you know and like they they deal in these coins and you're like what the fuck is going on <laughs> um yeah. it's really cool uh, i have to give a special shout out you got to see this movie i mean in theaters it was awesome but like um the 4k blu-ray of it you got to see like the lighting in this they they went for a very stylized neon drenched kind of approach to it and it's got that like 
I feel like Drive came along, you know, and it kind of like put that at the forefront for a lot of these movies where like you got to have the loner guy, you got to have like that synthwave music and you got to have yeah. Neon blasting everywhere. This is that, but like with just a lot of really, really well choreographed action. I mean, I can, I can go on about John Wick, but I don't think I need to justify it at all to be on this list. It is a damn good movie on its own. Yeah, John Wick. I remember, like, I didn't see it when it came out in theaters, but I, I was, like, hanging out with my friend, and we were just like, oh, let's watch this movie. And he was like, yeah, you haven't seen it? Like, let's watch it. And it was just like, okay, this is, like, really, really good. And, like, you know, we, we've talked about this many times, the mid-range film mm-hmm. that's basically dead. Like, this is, this is like, that's what this is. It's that is exactly film. what this is. Yeah, And this is, like, a mid-range film that became... Uh, you know, basically like a, like a franchise. It like, it pulled itself out of that mid range. Yeah. Just like sheer, just how good it was. Yeah. Now the budgets are still mid range. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think the sequels are good. I, I really like them. I, I, I it's Same. just, it's just very amazing how this film, it's just like, you know, again, it just shows that films like you never know, right. You never Sometimes know. you get the right people, the right actor, the right director, the right writer, the right people. And boom, you just get this really great, like this is this is like one of the great characters in all of like action movies. Yeah. John fucking Wick. And you know the funny thing too, it wasn't even called John Wick. No, it had it a wasn't. really shitty title. Yeah, a really <laughs> shitty title. I don't remember what it is. I, I forget what it was too. But then you know at some point you know like like so I think someone asked him the character that he's playing. Oh, I'm pleased to have John Wick. It's like oh, it's called John Wick, and everyone just called it John Wick. Yeah. And that's another kind of blessing. Like if it was called the shitty title or like, yeah, if it was called, you know, the, the, the re- Russian revenge or whatever, or, or the fucking, the continental or something, the continental. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? No, it's yeah. about John fucking Wick, this guy who had his dog killed and then he started destroying people. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's one of the great, that's one of the great um, pieces of writing. I think mm-hmm. like this thing, like spawned an entire franchise from a dog. Yeah. From a dog. It's it's it gives me and and we're gonna talk about it today. Uh, it gives me a lot of those like Luc Besson vibes of like because like he, he him and another one of his guys like they would come up with these premises and like kind of create entire franchises out of them. It doesn't like it doesn't take a whole lot to make an action franchise, but whoever came up with that dog maybe, is a fucking genius. Maybe it hit at the right time in like society. You know, like maybe a dog. 50 years ago wouldn't have been that interesting or like, you know, 30 years ago in the eighties, maybe it would have been that interesting, but like right now people fucking love. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think I it's know. a pretty universal thing. I, I, I will say this. I've, I've watched a film recently where part of the plot was like fucking this girl, this little girl took a cat and like force fed it poison. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was I, part I can of get the, into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, whoa, that would not play today at all. People no. would riot. People would riot. Um, that, but that was like a European. But yeah, I, I think Still. there's always been a thing. Like, if especially puppies and like dogs are like are like kittens, when you kill like those animals that people you know empathize with a lot, because like you know, there's so many people like they've had a dog or they've right. had a cat or they've had something, and to think of they think of their cat. Yeah. Right when they see a cat or a dog in a movie distressed or killed, they think of yeah. their animal, and they and and the thing about it that's so smart is that it then justifies the mass murder. We get it. he mass murders people, but mass murder, and we're just like, yeah, kill him, yeah, kill him. All. I mean, kill the dog. Yeah, I I think it's just probably a natural evolution because like Liam Neeson mass murders 
hundreds of European dudes, but it's to save his daughter. And like, that's, that's super obviously relatable as well. But like for the kind of audience, because like you're making these movies for the, tw- the guys in their 20, the people in their twenties, thirties, probably max. Yeah. Right. And then like some of the nostalgic fucks that are like into the matrix, uh, and that you know, daughters are relatable. Yeah, I think they're the same person. Dudes. But... Yeah, I think they are. <laughs> God damn it! I think it would uh, be like 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 someone who watched Die Hard, like right when it came out, and they were like twenty when Die Hard came out. I'm trying I think to get them too. That's something. yeah. I think you're right. You're or like right, someone you're who right. saw the pre- Predator, Predator One when it. Came Thank you for making yeah. me feel old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know, because like both of us were like that was like our fucking movie when it came out that, in '99. That and that's what I was gonna say too. Yeah. Is like. Uh, this movie ca- coming out, you know, when we're all in our twenties, late twenties, whatever. Um, you, you're right. Like you think of it as your dog. Like for whatever reason, the millennial generation just fucking loves their 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 pets. <laughs> so, yeah. like, it began they, when we talk about it, like on Twitter and stuff. And so, like, it's very much in the zeitgeist. So that was a very smart thing uh, to do. But I'm just really impressed because I watch so many of these bad movies that are you know 90 minutes and they get put on Hulu or whatever. Like again, like that Eric Roberts movie that I told you about that I worked on. They're just made on a conveyor belt and they're made for no money and they're expected to do a two out of 10 on IMDb. And this is just like has a little more money than that. Um, But it came out like just the raw like passion. And, uh, you know, the directors, I mean, Chad Stahelski still making these movies. And then David Leach signed a contract last year uh, with Universal for like hundreds of millions of dollars. He he did Deadpool 2. He did Atomic Blonde. He did Hobbs and Shaw. That's when he signed the contract. So like these guys are making billion dollar movies They're now. Up. I think yeah, there was like another movie that he signed on to. I was just looking. I actually was looking at his IMDb the other day, like a big ass movie with like big, big, big ass movie. fucking yeah. names. Yeah, yeah. You know, not but, but, not not the mid rangey shit. Like he's he's yeah. out of that universe now. Yeah, and, and I mean, one of them like he did he did second unit action scenes on the Harley Quinn movie. Was it him or was it? Oh, it was Leech, else? I think. Yeah, I think it was him. Yeah. Or was it? No, I think it might have been the other guy. Either way, they're 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 working in the absolute highest uh, levels of Hollywood right now, all uh, off of this like simple taken premise, and I think it's amazing. But mm-hmm. like, not to undersell it, but like this, and a couple things I love about this movie because I got to say them since I'm here. Um, what's the guy's name? Um, the guy from uh, Commando with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in this movie. The the guy from the Warriors. Warriors. David David something. Uh, okay. Hold on, I have I have to get his name. Uh, because they, they put a lot of people in here. So in, in John Wick, you got the key maker from the matrix. Mm-hmm. He's in this movie for like a short second. So like they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. A hundred percent. But anyways, uh, it's, it's not important. I just think it's just the casting everything about it. Yeah. Fishburne's not in the first one, right? He's in the, no, he's in, he's like in the, the second, second one. Yeah. yeah. He's in the second and the third. Yeah. They know what yeah. they're doing. They're like, Hey yeah. guys, we're basically making a, you know, mid range matrix thing with a different premise and, you and know, gun fu. For sure, the Matrix Four does not exist if this movie doesn't come out. I, I'm I'm calling it. I'm I'm pretty sure. Like it, the 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 level, like the stratosphere that it shot Keanu Reeves back up into this movie. I, I don't know. I don't know if it would have happened anyways. But there was definitely a confluence of a lot of positive Keanu stuff. Yeah, that put him into because like I think he did like he did like a rom com. Then he did this. Then he did like there was like one other movie that he had done and he just did a lot of in a row a lot of good stuff that was like and you know what was that cyberpunk 2077 cyberpunk's coming out in like two days yeah so like his profile is very high again right now yeah you know for sure and and but john wick was like that was a big Mm. 
But you're right. It got all of us in. It got everybody who grew up in the 90s who saw, you know, they saw Speed on VHS and they saw The Matrix and they saw Point Break and all these things. You know, you, the, we got our boy back. <laughs> the thing, too, I appreciate about this is an R-rated action movie. This isn't some kind of kitty, fancy, like, oh, yes. and you know, not to not to rag too much on Nolan, but he has this thing about yeah, shooting he, people getting shot. You never see anything. They well, get shot like, oh, and then you just pass, pass out or whatever. Never see blood. Never really even see a bullet. No, that's uh, why. The, no, Nolan's entire thing is just like, I'm going to make as much fucking money as humanly possible. Yeah. Everything has to be PG-13. Everything has to be James Bond. And that's why I put Insomnia on my list because it's the only R-rated movie he's done. And it's, you know, it, it goes places. I mean, it's about serial killers. So, like, I like the idea of, like, some of these directors doing stuff, but, like, the system won't let them. So, yeah, like, you're right. An R-rated movie coming out where John Wick is, like, breaking legs and shooting people three times in the head is kind of awesome. It, it's it's hard R, dude. And, yeah. like, they, they continually up the violence in this franchise, which is really nice. Yeah, part three um, is just unbelievable. Oh, it's brutal. It's, it's, it's like, it's almost too much. It is just Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, isn't there, like, like, he stabs a guy in the eye? Like, yeah, yeah, that, there's right? a scene in, like, a knife shop. That's yeah. all I gotta say. Which is great. Which is great. <laughs> yeah, just like they're just so smart too. Like the way yeah. that they do these these set pieces, just like, oh, I see where they're going here. And like, you know, there's the different like he killed a guy with a book, he killed a guy with this, he killed a guy with that, you know. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I remember there's a part in uh, there's a scene in part three where they're like trying to set up defenses for all these guys to come into the building and they're like, What do you need, John? He's like, guns, lots of guns. Like, ah, I did the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's a it's a cool franchise but the first movie in particular is like yeah. absolutely one one of the classics for me and i think it's really good that you brought up like the take-in and the transporter the kind of stuff the all the you know the luke Besson stuff the like Besson that was his just, his, yeah. his basically his empire was built on creating these like premise franchises yeah um and this is kind of like the american version because i think a lot of those i don't know if yeah. taken was r or not taken uh, well so Glad you asked. Taken is one. Taken is a hundred percent. It's like a French movie, basically. Uh, it was. It is made to be rated R, but they cut it down. Uh, the sense they basically they made a decision to cut it down to make it PG thirteen to make more money. But the unrated cut of it is the kind of like the original cut, and that's like a hard R. Taken is also like I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Taken is a hard R. Like the, that dude's snapping next. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. not quite like this though. This has got just a little more of that gun does, gun yeah. foo in it. The, you know, like the equilibrium thing going on. Yeah, the 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 gun foo gun foo is something. Um, and I, I I don't know if we'll talk about some of the Tarantino stuff, like the mm. what are they the heroic bloodshed. Yeah, uh, that never totally translated into America. I don't think. No, this is the closest. People think it's funny or weird. Yeah, they certainly don't get it. Um, yeah. I think I it, because it can be very a little bit over the top. Mm -hmm. um, the and almost because like there's some of those John Woo films like The Killer. There's oh, some I shit that gets that it's beautiful, but it gets yeah. very video gamey. Where like it, it's like, dude, I just saw a scene where he killed thirty people. He killed thirty yeah. fucking people, and he yeah. never reloaded his gun. It's like <laughs> boom, 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 and then he's in a fucking Mexican standoff. And, yeah, and, yeah, it, but like. For for what it does, it's like it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but I think this kind of makes this kind of gives it the type of context that works in, I guess, the American kind of cinematic landscape. I think well, so the American thing, not to go on uh, for too long on this, but I, from what I can gather, because I kind of study these types of movies, the American thing that really, really, really like 
they get into it is the revenge aspect is that's the and especially after 9-11 there's like a mm. a pretty very specific shift of like you know before it would be like i mean th- th- there was always been revenge movies but i feel like the reason these movies have got so big in the late in the 2000s is just like you got the one guy representing whatever john cena is the marine and they kidnap yeah. his wife like there's so many of these movies that got made and so i feel like the revenge thing plays really really well to american audiences so and especially if you put a dog in there you can justify any amount of splatter and extreme violence and the you know chow yun fat killing 30 dudes in in half a second like i feel like that kind of helps yeah for sure for sure but yeah i do think that that this this film is like within that you know equilibrium um the heroic bloodshed stuff like it's just like kind of trying to bring it to a point where people can consume it because like those films i love equilibrium i love the those like the killer. I love those John Woo movies. Yeah, those so John Woo movies kick ass. Yeah, um, hard boiled. Yeah. That shit kicks ass. Oh, hard boiled. But that's like <laughs> you know it, it didn't like when they brought him over here. He did like three films and they kind of kicked him out, which yeah. sucks. And they, well, they, they 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 fucking they fucking you know they made him. I don't know. They just didn't give him. No, the they they, type they of made content. him make a they made him make a World War Two movie with Nicolas Cage. Like just stop it, <laughs> stop it. He should yeah. he should have been doing. Like like some kind of lethal weapon kind of shit, you know? Yeah. Well, he huh, he his face off was kind of that. I don't know. Like they tried. They tried with John Woo. You know, he got his Tom Cruise moment. It was it was fine. But like he kind of decided after a while, he was like, he wanted out. Done with. These people are insane. They're they're never. Yeah. yeah. He wanted out. He yeah. Wanted out. But but you know they gotta they gotta like give him like what's a good like nineties. The best one he ever made, in my opinion, is uh, Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's why he came to Hollywood. He's like, I want to work with Jean-Claude Van Damme because he was hot as fuck back then. And uh, it's that movie's got Jean-Claude like basically riding a motorcycle like a skateboard and like doing flips off of it with two guns in each hand. Like it's it's got all the John Woo shit in it. <laughs> it's very Hollywood. But like I, I kind of I get what you're saying, like. They need to just open up a little more. It's like the same reason when, like, you know, Edgar Wright goes to Marvel and Marvel's like, no, 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 you can't, no. And he's like, all right, fuck you. I'm going to go make Baby Driver. And, you know, yeah, the best they, thing ever. They, like, took his nuts and went like that. Yeah. So <laughs> they were they, like, uh, no, you're going to do this because we don't care about you. We're not hiring you because you're an artist. You're a part of a machine. And exactly. the machine is far more important than you. So, yeah, you're going to have this scene where where he meets with, you know, fucking tony stark or whatever i don't care what you have to say Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and you have to shoot it this way you can't make it weird so yeah yeah you can't make it funny or interesting or exactly (laughs) yeah 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 but uh no it's interesting it's uh i'm sure we're we're gonna loop back around to this discussion uh, over and over again because yeah like the it's it's just like a little miracle of a movie this one that it came out the way that oh totally yeah totally it's always great when a film surprises just it gives Mm -hmm. you a good feeling Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're still talking about it, and you know, it's a franchise, and their stars was developing a, a series about it called The Continental. Uh, so you know, we'll see if that ever manifests because COVID happened. But uh, yeah, it's 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 awesome that something genuinely good got repaid with more installments. It's that that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, totally. Um, and again, you know, like this is a film from through Lionsgate. Yeah. And that's another mid-major and they, you know, they take a lot of chances. They take a lot they of do. chances. Like some of them kind of explode in their face, unfortunately. A lot of them do. Yeah. Like every I feel like all of those Johnny Depp in a computer movies, you know, like they oh. they were putting those out and the Ryan Reynolds one where he's like 
yeah, dead, but he's in Kevin Costner's head. Like that's a movie, I think. Uh, <laughs> and then Gal Gadot's in it too. Like, I don't know if you heard weird. about this, the Chaos Walking that movie where they. It's a, I have, yeah, the the. Yeah, so they, one, they, right? they 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 struck it really well with the Hunger Games stuff. So they oh, they kind of went into the yeah. well again, and so they got another property, and mm-hmm. so they they cast yeah Spider Man and and Daisy, Daisy Ridley. Ridley. Yeah, yeah, but that that and then they they got uh, Doug Liman or whatever to direct, and then it yeah. just blew up. It, it, the the budget blew up, and they they couldn't complete it, and so it it, it sounds like it's going to be a problem. But that's like a two hundred million dollar who knows what boondoggle, basically. Yeah, you don't really yeah you don't sign like that's that's a Lionsgate thing you're saying. I believe so. Yeah, I would not have done that. Yeah, <laughs> once you hire Doug Liman, I don't. Uh, yeah, I he he is a budget. He's a big guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like if I'm getting Doug Lyman, there better be Tom Cruise. Yeah. You better have something attached. Some kind like I, Spider-Man's great, but like, what do you, what else? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but like, you know, they made the saw, they made John Wick, they take chances. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, would this have been made in Hollywood? Would, would Warner brothers make this? Would, Mm. Warner Brothers, That's I the feel only like the place it would go, right? <laughs> yeah, Warner Brothers would have made this in the like late '90s, early 2000s. Warner Brothers, because they did this, they did a lot. So for every Matrix, we had like a Dark City or whatever. Like, yeah, they they would do these things, and they would take because Matrix is an astronomical chance to take for a big budget studio movie. Yeah, it's just like so out there, and it's got all these anime things that nobody understands. Um, so yeah, it's. It, Warner Brothers, I feel like they stepped off the gas for a while. Uh, I think after they did Cloud Atlas, they were like, <laughs> "We're good." Yeah, you know? they they did they because then they also financed another Wachowski project uh, that bombed the Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending, yeah, yeah. It was Ooh. another bomb. So there was like, Ooh. Mm-hmm. so so they 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 financed probably like uh, Speed Racer, Jupiter Ascending, and. I actually Speed like Racer. that uh, Cloud Atlas. I like that, but like I like Cloud Atlas. A- I hate Speed Race. <laughs> <laughs> but like Cloud Atlas, it's like a three-hour ramble. It's it's like a, it's like it's like when you watch one of those, uh, just like some person rambling about mm-hmm. philosophy and the interconnectedness. I, li- I like from- it, man. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it, but probably not 150 million dollars worth of loving it. <laughs> no, no, no. And then, yeah. And yeah. then you, when you start to, you give me like all the different uh, eras of humanity <laughs> with Tom Hanks and shit. Like it gets too much, <laughs> too much. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a total miracle that this got made and it was good. Absolutely. And, and it, you know, like it shows these guys are really talented and they've just been sitting and waiting and plotting and boom, they got their chance. Yeah. It's, and I look forward to seeing what, uh, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure Chad is going to keep making these John Wick movies until he's no longer allowed to. But, uh, the other guy, you know, David Leach, who knows he's, he signed on. He, again, he's got a contract with universal. He could pretty much do whatever he wants. So, uh, either way, really stylish, really cool. Really. I like neon. I like colors. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it'll be, it'll be cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, okay. So my number 58 is mm-hmm. Les Miserables from 1934. Yeah. So I don't know how many people have actually seen this movie. Like, I feel like I watched this really randomly. <laughs> um, but basically, it's like a four hour version of Le Mis from this time. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's really epic. And I felt like they really basically did the story right. And it's not a musical, <laughs> which is something that <laughs> I know <laughs> that, yeah. that, that we would appreciate. It's not a musical. <sighs> yeah. They just do it straight up for the film, what it was. Yeah. And. Yeah, I think this film does the story. I think this is the best engine of Le Mis. 
ever, pretty much. I think there are other ones that are good. There's a, you know, and, and again, c- comparing like this with any musical version is like they're different. They're different things, yeah. They're totally different things. But like this, I think this is like, they got it right. They they did the actual story, the whole good. story. Good. In like a four hour <laughs> version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I have a funny story about this one because uh, when I was a kid, I used to read. Imagine that. So I read a bunch of Victor Hugo stuff and uh, it was like Gavroche and Cosette and like a couple of things like that. And then Les Mis was the thing that I was reading. And somebody somewhere like had a fucking tape of this version of the movie. Uh, and I could not. I, I mean, I was a kid. So like I really, really couldn't get into it. But like weird that it would come back up again at this point in my life. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's worth going back to because uh, I specifically remember like someone was like oh you're reading the book they made a movie and i was like oh they made a movie and then they put this on and i was just like what is this yeah <laughs> i yeah, I really, yeah 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 <laughs> i really appreciated it because like you know it really goes there with the story like, it does the story justice mm-hmm. and it's a really it's kind of a universal story you know like a guy it's it's you know like like the the, the stories from that time it was always like someone got fucked over by the government or something or like they were just like they they got wronged in some way and they need to get revenge but society like, is just screwing them over yeah you know yeah i i i really um i think this is like and again you know it's hard for people to get into a 1930s four hour or whatever <laughs> version of the story as, as opposed to you know seeing the musical that's fun it's short they cut out all the interesting stuff sure um <laughs> i mean i would i would definitely definitely be more inclined to get into this one <laughs> but that's just me yeah i'm just thinking of like they did the hollywood they have the Hollywood thing. Yeah. And that was really successful. Yeah. Got some Oscars. They had Wolverine play one of mm-hmm. the roles. Yeah. Well, once uh, you, once you get a Hollywood version of a thing that's like moderately successful, even if it's bad, like it sticks around for a while. Uh, yeah. I've, I've noticed like that, that kind of becomes a reference point for a lot of these things. When you adapt a thing like uh, the great Gatsby, for example, I think is a dog pile, dog shit. Dumpster <laughs> fire of a movie. But people are going to be talking about the Boz Lerman one and the Leonardo DiCaprio one versus the other one, you know, the, the good one, the, the Robert Redford, Redford one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like more recent and it's it, it did well. So that kind of becomes a reference point. And so I feel like there's been so many versions of Les Mis that like, yeah, very. There's so many. It, it sucks that there's something because this I'm looking at it now like this looks genuinely interesting again. Yeah, I forget. Let me see how how long the full version is. I forget. Um, and it's directed by this guy. Raymond uh, Bernard. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's like, you know, there, there's like some films that kind of like, there's some people like they make like one really, really good film, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then their films kind of talked about, but like, unless they're a big person, they kind of, they're, it gets lost. Like, I feel like we talk a lot more about the great films of like Kubrick and Kurosawa and we're like, Oh, look at this great director. Like they did all mm-hmm. this stuff, but like films like this or whatever, like Night of the Hunter, stuff like that, they kind of right. get not as talked about as much because, the director didn't go on to do more stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but this this was like a pretty incredible. It's even kind of incredible that they let him do it. I, I'm sure this shit wasn't cheap. It can't be. It's you know, four hours <laughs> and forty one minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two hundred seventy nine minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this is. I don't even know if they they even like have re released this version. You know, like on any 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 like like any a gray or anything. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Again, I know that I had some communist like uh, VHS tape of it, but like, not not uh, yeah. anything recently. Yeah, um, yeah, because I saw this like man. We need to save this movie. 
Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> you find the negative. We need to find the negative. And <laughs> I, I think it might be safe. It looks like Criterion did a DVD of it DVD, a long yeah. time I, ago. I'm, I feel like I saw the DVD when it when it, like I had Netflix in like 2006 or some shit. That oh, was like the God. first time I saw yeah. this thing on like the fucking DVD. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, this is this is amazing. Um, <laughs> this is amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, That's cool. I don't know. There's probably not much else I can say about it. Um, I really wish they this is this is a film that they need to do a restoration of yeah i think sure. so it looks it like to, it's one of those diamond in the rough situations because this is hard to this is actually a hard film to watch to to find it and then find, yeah you know because like you're not going to find this on netflix or hulu or whatever. it's not streaming anywhere no it's not streaming anywhere which is how i like them i i always take it as a challenge and every time yeah. i see that something's not available like immediately for me to just put four dollars on i feel like this is something worth pursuing <laughs> Yeah. 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 Cause like, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, and, and this is like the type of film that's fun to champion, you know, like where it's like, Hey, sure, yeah. watch this film, you know? Yeah. Cause like, this is different from anything you've seen. Yeah. Um, it's like that version of Napoleon that plays on like, you know, four different theater screens. That's like nine hours long. Yeah. Like that's, that's the hell kind yeah. of shit that like, yeah, let's get it. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. This is kind of like one of those, you know, mm-hmm. um, just like, just like, a cult movie, a cult cinephile movie. A cult, yeah. It's like, oh, it's super niche, but like, if that is super niche, it's got a someone. Hopefully, someone will appreciate these things. Like when we were talking about like Joan of Arc and stuff. Like I'm glad that like some of them bub, you know, bubble up to the surface every once in a while, and people can see it as like a just like a great achievement that it is. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a 4K restoration. Of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's that's uh, my number 58, Love Miserable I- from 1934 sick dude well my number 58 is uh kind of keeping in line with what we've been doing so far is um kind of a lot of the action movies that i really love kind of landed in this in this spot before we get into like the really weird surreal and like extreme cinema stuff that i like a little bit more uh but number 58 is terminator 2 baby it's got i mean hell yeah oh yeah yeah so uh, i don't really know what (laughs) much i need to say about terminator 2 but I love Terminator too. And um, I was kind of going back and forth between like, cause part of me likes Terminator one more because of it's like scrappiness. Like it's a very like kind of, you can feel the, the, the sheer will of the people that were making it that like, we're really trying to make that thing. Like some of the early prints of it are like really shitty and really scratched. And like, you can really tell like the, the special effects, like how they were made and stuff. It's been restored a couple times. And of course, and whenever James Cameron restores a thing, he like, he kind of Ridley Scott's it where he'll like, he will fix things. Uh, but um, Terminator 2 is just a, it's a more entertaining movie, I guess. I like the kind of noir attitudes of the first movie where it's just like, it's a guy and he's, you know, being chased by this thing and he falls in love with this girl and it's like a problem. But Terminator 2 is, you know, a boy and his dog and uh, his dog happens to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and I normally hate, you know, I mean, I've, I've said this, I've said as much, I hate kids in movies like i hate kids in movies it it usually takes me out of it but uh, eddie furlong in this movie is he's just so cool i don't know he's just a really cool kid yeah uh it sucks that you know he went off the deep end but uh this movie i think as a whole is just like a perfect movie oh it's great (laughs) yeah it's great i absolutely love this film i feel like this is one of so this is kind of an interesting film because like not only is it i think really 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 good but also have like a weird nostalgia thing for it because I feel like this is like one of the first films I ever really remember watching a mm. lot at home. Mm-hmm. 
which is funny because this is like a fucking rated R action movie. Um, Whatever, dude. One of my earliest <laughs> memories is like fucking Basic Instinct. So you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Seeing yeah. that. Yeah. Seeing, seeing what happens when she opens her legs. That's fun. Yeah, uh, it, it was. It, I mean, I was like, is he going to get stabbed or not? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that this film is one of the one of the great like action films of all time. Like in terms of the way that he and it's so he's so smart. He's such such a smart filmmaker because. How do you take that small premise and then blow it up? Yeah. Yeah. He always does that so well. And we did that with the, aliens. Yeah. And the fact that he's like, well, I have this really, really scary character. Let me make him, uh, let me make him a good guy in this movie, which, which is, is good because yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was good because like, again, like Arnold's a huge superstar. So it makes sense that you'd want to keep him and make mm-hmm. him good. Mm-hmm. But also it's sort of, works thematically because you know is technology just inherently bad no it's like what people do with the technology is bad right mm-hmm. it's the fact that we created skynet and then it put it in control of nukes that was the problem yeah you know? yeah um but yeah i just i just i think that there's so many and then of course he's always got these big fucking ideas like his ideas are huge they're so big and he's always able to think to the nth level of the idea. So like, even when he made Terminator 1, he knew I want to do the T-1000 at something, which is this liquid metal mm-hmm. intelligent thing that can do all mm-hmm. this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they almost really, even at that time, they really couldn't do all of the ideas that he had. There was, a, there was like this yeah. one uh, scene that they had to cut where um, the T-1000 is in John's room and it's like scanning. And like the way he envisioned it is like when the T-1000 like touches an object or scans an object, it takes on its form or something like that. Like it was Mm -hmm. so deep that, you know, for the time they just couldn't, they couldn't even do what he was thinking. There's another great scene where the T-1000, when it's flying the helicopter, there's like this one shot where the T-1000 has four arms Mm -hmm. because it's loading a gun with two arms (laughs) and then it's piloting the fucking Mm -hmm. aircraft with another two arms. Why wouldn't he be able to do that? Yeah. Because he can, because it's a liquid metal thing. And it's just like, yeah, it's just so brilliant the way that he, cause he thinks he takes an idea and he goes as far as he can with it. Yeah. And he thinks of every single interesting niche thing. Yeah. That's and what I love about him so much. You just like, you're in the hands of a brilliant, brilliant person who's using that stuff to tell a story. Yeah. It's a rare combo of an idea guy. And then also somebody who is fluent in like the cinematic language also knows how to deal with studios yeah. Also knows how to do like hands-on practical effects because he he has the experience. Like it's a really rare combo. And uh, the Terminator Two. I mean, we can talk about it all day about how good the movie itself is, but it's also kind of unassuming, kind of like a John Wick situation where like the first movie was I don't know six, seven, eight years before, right? It was before Arnold was a superstar. It was before, you know, any of these people really were superstars before Jim Cameron. Like it was before he wrote the script to like Rambo 2, you know, and aliens and stuff. So like it was before all of that stuff. And so to come back and say like, oh, they're going to do another one. Like, oh, okay, You know, and you cross your arms and you're like, ha, we'll see. And like you said, like to just blow it up. It's like such a skill because there's a couple examples like this. Like James Cameron did it, you know, aliens script for Rambo, like to take a very simple kind of like unassuming movie and make it like 
really like uh like a like what we're still doing now like because they were selling terminator toys now and they were selling they had the ride at universal and they had <laughs> yeah the terminator 3d games. or all this other shit. Yeah, yeah yeah which was fucking awesome by the way because it's another one of those things like we were talking about blade runner last week of like it is supplemental to the movie itself but they don't really like it's not important but to see it it like it's all like it all comes from the same mind and 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 I love that. I love that it all kind of fits together, but like to take such a simple idea and like a small movie to blow it up and to keep everything consistent like to f- make it feel like it's part of the same thing and you didn't just like, you know, give it to Kevin Feige like it's it's kind of amazing. Yeah. And I think the thing too is like it's so, it, it's you know, the what he does too with Sarah Connor in this movie yeah um it's well, he, so he, impressive. he, he base he does the same shit with like he did with ripley basically yeah he does he just, yeah it's, makes her it's, a fucking legend yeah oh uh, yeah i was watching the other day i just love the scene where they're in the desert and so first off there's another thing too uh the scene where she has a dream about the nuke yeah i love that that scene, scene is actually like really fucking scary like i don't oh, know i didn't really, really get scary. it as a kid because like again like for for me i feel like the whole cold war shit was like you know it it, it didn't it didn't hit us because for for at least Americans my generation because like it was over well it, it didn't hit we us won, yeah. and, sure um you know we don't it's not like like people like my parents at some point probably I don't know maybe they didn't care about them but but like they were like hey probably you have not. to you you have to like dunk under a desk if you see a flash because that's a news they, there were Americans who were taught that dude they when I when I was learning about this stuff it scared the shit out of me it did like it, it, I, I understood it in like it hit me. So when I saw that scene from like the whatever 18th redux cut of Terminator 2 with the that dream, <laughs> it, it genuinely scared the shit out of me. It, it genuinely because like the thing that like and again, you know, when I watch this, like the more I sort of read that people who are scientists were like, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. That is what happens. You there, there's a flash. You get instantly incinerated if you're too close. And in the and and what they did in the film is like the people turn into dust. A human turns into dust. Yeah. And then the shockwave blows them away. Yeah. That's what would happen to a you human just, being. You just disappear. <laughs> that is fucking insane. I know. <laughs> that you turn into dust. It's like right. nothing. So that was like scary to read about in high school, but like to see it, like the way that he did that scene with the because he sets up that playground and you see the kids and everything and you, you you're, you're already you're already on Sarah Connor's side, like you're already empathizing with her, and yeah, it's some scary shit. Yeah, uh, I, I and so there's just so much impressive stuff, and I love the scene where yeah she goes to kill Dyson and she's in that fucking tactical outfit. That's some yeah, iconic so shit. Badass dude. That's so badass dude. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm like dude. I yeah. Yeah, I yeah. like that. I like that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many iconic things in this movie, man. Yeah, there's just so much. Like they literally, practically flew a helicopter under a bridge. Yeah, and this it was so crazy that no one else was going to shoot the scene. So James Cameron is the person behind the camera shooting that scene because they were like, dude, someone's going to die. And I don't want it to be me. <laughs> he did that shit again. He did that shit again in true lies. He like, he like dangled Jamie Lee Curtis out of a helicopter. Like he just, yeah. he just fucking does things. <laughs> He's crazy. And like, yeah. he brought up, like, so I think the one sort of the weakness of, of Cameron is that he does go like, He's going to spend a lot of money. Terminator yeah. 2 went over budget. Titanic went over budget. Yeah. Avatar probably went over budget. But he's so good. But he at, hits every time at least. He hits every time. He yeah. hits every time. And yeah. the films are good. And they resonate with people. And they work. 
So yeah, he's gonna double the budget, but you know, if you double the budget on fucking Pirates 12, it might be a, a bomb. But with James yeah. Cameron, at least you're gonna get something that's gonna really resonate with you. Yeah. And that's why I think it's 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 very important. Like it's definitely like a good if, if James Cameron like dies tomorrow, it's it's a big loss because it's not like you can't get 18 different people that are equally good at like different things to make a movie like this, but that's like an impossible task to have one guy that has all of that in his head and he's able to like put it all together, you know, that that's the skill. And I mean, like you said, that, that lends itself to going way too far with stuff. And that's why there's 18 avatar sequels and we haven't seen any of them. But, uh, <laughs> and he says that he's done shooting principal photography for two of them. He says Whatever. he's done shooting photography for two of them. That's what he said. He said recently he said he said Avatar two is ninety five percent done and Avatar three is ninety percent. <laughs> We've seen like, not a single minute of these sequels. But he still, but he it still took him 15, 20 years to do a, a 4K restoration of Terminator two. So like by the time he gets done with those effects and shit, forget about it. We'll never. Who knows. But uh, yeah, it's just an amazing. I mean, again, we could talk about Terminator 2 all day, but I think it's like such an outside of how good the movie is. But like to come out just to be like after all this time, you've made aliens and you've made, you know, you've done like a personal thing. You've made the abyss. You know, you've gone to the bottom of the ocean and shit. And then you're like, yeah, I want to go back to the Terminator. And people are like, what? But you're so far beyond that. Terminator was like a, a small little kind of, uh, you know, noir horror movie that you made. Like, why would you want to go back to that? Like, no, no, no. I got ideas like that's awesome. That is such a great like feel good. Yeah. And and moment. like, you know, I think we've talked before about like the um, what is it? The uh, subverting your expectations kind of stuff. Right. James Cameron is the opposite. He gives you everything opposite. you want. What does this movie yeah. open up with? A fucking Terminator stomps on a skull yeah. and we see we see uh, the, the future, the future battle. We see it the way that he couldn't do because he didn't have enough money. Mm-hmm. And he shows the war. And it's fucking awesome. It's and it's and to this day, it's like when people talk about Terminator because people are talking about Terminator all the time, and that's one of the things that one of the great sadnesses is like we want to see so much more of that future war that isn't shitty, and still the best that we've ever seen is like that beginning bit of Terminator Two. Uh, and I know recently James Cameron said something about like he would be into doing a future war Terminator movie, but that's never going to happen because you know we're we are going to be eighty years old by the time that comes out. But, uh, you know, a man can dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think at this point we all know there's basically two Terminator films. There's the first one and this one. And everything yeah. else is, is just some fan fiction that people spend a lot of money on. Yeah. Unfortunately. A lot of money. A lot, a lot of, of money. money. <laughs> but it's and, like you, know, you said, like, the budgets can bloat, and they do. But when they bloat under, under James Cameron's kind of hand, it's, it's okay. But when, you know, it's Terminator Genesis, it's not. It's not good. No, no. And even, you know, <laughs> Salvation, there were moments where we were like, oh, is this it? It's not. Um, yeah. You know, Terminator Dark Fate, is this it? No, it's not. It's no, just not it's good not. enough. It just, you know, it just, it just sucks, but we never get, we never, but this film did all of it. It gave us everything we wanted and more yeah. things that we, you know, things that we wouldn't expect. Like, yeah. no one, no one expected what we got out of the T-1000, but it's no. so, it's so on point. It's like, yeah, the machines are iterating these extremely yeah. more efficient killing machines you and, thought arnold was bad wait until you see this thing that's basically indestructible and it serves a dual purpose it's like story-wise and then also like uh kind of cultural wise um c- cinema wise like the visual effects that were coming out the cgi that was coming out like this yeah. movie in jurassic park kind of coming out 
around the same time just being like what the fuck like we we've arrived you know this movie was a massive breakthrough in, yeah in effects yeah. which is funny because we think of like you know uh well uh, yeah uh, i was doing a podcast we were reviewing like batman forever which is a piece of shit but uh some of the some of the effects in that look like some cd-rom shit from like the 90s like that bad <laughs> it is but i like that movie <laughs> yeah 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 but so like this this movie and a lot of people aren't going to get it because like you know you could use your iphone and generate better effects than this as but sure for the time it's like a huge breakthrough this was a humongous breakthrough at the time and i hate that i that annoys me sometimes when people say oh for the time for the time it sounds like an excuse you know it's like well yeah but for the time these were really good effects like i there's nothing better to me than to, to, to show Terminator 2 to someone like the 4K version that came out a couple of years ago and just be like, this was this was the movie that came out 30 years ago. I'm not going to tell you that you're just going to watch it and assume it came out yesterday and it still holds up even yeah, a little bit. It does hold up. Yeah. It's incredible. That's like the biggest kind of like, fuck you, like biggest achievement. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of that had to do with like he's a super perfectionist and there's a lot of mix of practical effects and um and the CGI yeah. effects. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like there's a lot of stuff where I I know like when when Arnold chops him in half, mm-hmm. the T one thousand that was done practically. Yeah, uh, or at least when he's like in half. Um, there's also like when when he gets shot with the uh the, the grenade and he's like blown yes. up into this weird that mm-hmm. was done practically too. They they yeah they just did such a great job of like mixing all these things to um to really make you yeah. know this this incredible experience yeah again you can have a a vfx supervisor who will tell you how these things work but it's it's an extra asset to have your director know exactly how practical effects are done and how to mix the two like it's that's that's why i think he's so successful in this stuff yeah totally totally um yeah big fan of that movie too Mm -hmm. so yeah okay cool um so yeah so my number 57 is an akira kurosawa movie so this is a film called the bat the bad sleep well so this is like so like um he's done a lot of samurai movies he's done a lot of like kind of uh movies that are about i guess sort of the the lands the the either political or the cultural landscape in sort of like japan at the time so like akiru um this film uh high and low and he did another like noir detective kind of film mm-hmm. uh so this film is basically his take on hamlet so uh cool. but yeah oh it's fucking great <laughs> but in like sort of the the corporate structure so basically um uh Tashira Mwafune, he's the main character he's basically the hamlet character and so then his dad just like dies but it's he knows there was some you know there's some fuckery about yeah 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 um what was that like? It's something's rotten in Denmark. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, something's yeah. Ro- something's rotten in Tokyo, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. this great scene too, where um, so the the dad dies or whatever. They're at this party, and <laughs> everyone's kind of on edge, like all the corporate suits. And then some people like they open some champagne bottles, bottles and people are like, oh shit, like they're gonna get shot. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like really it's really smart and well done stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just like just just I think that's kind of. You know, a noir Hamlet directed by Kurosawa. Kurosawa. I feel like that's all I really need to say. <laughs> yeah, that is all you need to say. I'm so in. Yeah, if this movie so is in. so fucking... And it's as good as you think it, based mm-hmm. on the premise. It is so fucking good. And it's like, you know, it's got all the, like, the machinations of those type of Shakespearean dramas where there's a lot of backstabbing and giant turnabouts and, you know, character interplay. It's great. It's just a well-directed, well-paced, 
well done film that works on a lot of layers that also is a critique of the I guess the 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 encroaching corporatization of Japan that happened at this time. Uh, yeah, that's so interesting to me. I'm yeah. I have to add this because um I really like I mean as much as everybody likes to and for good reason, you know, they talk about Kurosawa for making these big epics, like these sprawling, like insane, you know, and he kind of develops a lot of the language of like how to shoot a big movie with a lot of people and a lot of action scenes and stuff. But uh, I really, really, really like the kind of more confined stuff and some of the more noir stuff like Drunken Angel, stuff like that. Like, I really, really like that stuff where it's like a couple degenerate characters, like some Yakuza guys. Like, I really like that stuff. Yeah. So this to me, like a corporate uh, thing. I can't believe I haven't heard of this movie. I've straight up have not heard of it. Yeah, it's an absolute masterpiece. Uh, it's one of my favorites of his. I think I think Akiru kind of gets within this 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 block of those types of films gets more more play. Um, but I think this is one of his absolute best, especially if we're talking about films that are not samurai films. Yeah. Or based upon those kind of that time period. Mm-hmm. This is like probably probably my favorite. I think I'd have to look yeah. at when it comes next, but sure, sure, I, sure. I, I, I absolutely love this film. And um, it's just so amazing how he weaves all the, you know, the political plot machinations with the character stuff. And it's, it really works. It really works well. Um. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of sad. Cause like the, uh, he, he gets pe- really like pinned as like the samurai guy uh, a lot. Uh, and if you don't do the deep dive, like I haven't really done the deep deep dive into Kurosawa too much. I mean, again, I've seen the samurai ones. I've seen some other stuff like drunken angel. Uh, and I like that stuff, but uh, like, obviously he has a wealth of, of stuff that he made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a lot. Um, yeah. This is definitely one of my favorites. Of his. So yeah, that's my number 57. The bad sleep. Well, dude, sick. I got to check that out. And it oh, looks yeah. like, at the moment, it's not available to stream anywhere. So that gives me... Uh, There's certainly a criterion. <laughs> right, 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 right. But like not on... Uh, it looks like you can't get it on Amazon. So that certainly yeah. gives me an, uh, an incentive to track it down. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fortunately, unlike Le Mis, this is this is one that's pretty easy to find. And you'll find like a nice... Probably like a 2K uh, version from yeah, yeah, Criterion, yeah. basically. I imagine, yeah. They, they did... Uh, actually, I saw his... Um, was it Dreams, was it? I haven't seen that yet, but yeah, dude. Yeah, it, I, I, I fuck with the stuff that's not samurai stuff, basically from him. It's really cool, uh, and I like yeah. you know surreal stuff. And Kurosawa trying to do a surreal film is interesting. So yeah, 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 cool, awesome. The bad sleep well. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let me take you. Let me take you just all the way back down. You're gonna hate me for this. I put this above the Terminator too, but I, but I, but I did. All right, I did. Uh, my number fifty-seven is the transporter. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I do like you know. I think me and my friend. So like right after I got out of high school, uh, me and my friend Salvador. Shout out to him if he ever watches this. Shout he's out. In the Navy, he's in the Navy now. Uh, he's a, a seaman, as they would. <laughs> hey. um, but you know, we would watch movies all the time. Do we watch every single one of these movies? Transporter. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. No, but the the I don't know the transporter two and three. I mean, obviously, I saw them too. But like they're they in my in my mind they pale in comparison to the first movie for a couple of reasons. They just got a little too far out there. Terminator. <laughs> the, the, sorry, the first transporter is not Terminator. Transporter is to me uh, again per, my personal favorite out of like we were talking about John Wick and like all of these like kind of concept based. Uh, 
action movie franchises that are set up like you get a popular guy and do make him do stuff this to me is like it this is the kind of perfection of it and it's basically it's it's in the early 2000s so it's like very much stuck and it's operating within those parameters but they've got a they've got Corey Yuen Corey Yuen I don't know how to say his name uh directing he's like a Chinese just master of just like he's a he's a choreographer basically so he's directing all the action you got uh, Louis Leterrier who you know went on to make very big Hollywood movies so you've got like on the directing you've got you know Chinese choreographer master guy and like French fuck and then uh, <laughs> and you got a Lu- Brit as the lead right and you got Luc Besson and Robert Mark Kamen uh, writing the script and these two have written they've they've come up with taken together they've done fifth yeah. element together they've done they've all of these things they've but created this, franchises together literally yeah, but, franchise multiple but this is the one i mean it's so fucking stupid i love this movie so much it's up there with the fast and the furious for me because again it's a simple premise it's you've got a guy he's he's a he's jason statham and he never looks in the package. You know, it, it's so fucking stupid. Like the movie opens up with, with like a heist. Like there's a bank heist and he's just sitting in his BMW and he's like checking his watch and you hear the fucking gunshots go off and the alarm goes off and these four guys pile into his BMW and they're like, go, 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 go. And there's a there's a chase scene and uh, it's, you know, so you realize this, this, this character's entire like his entire thing is I, I never look in the in the bag. I never look like he his entire existence is just like I'm the transporter, you know. And then you know what happens is he gets tasked by one of the guys from the first Fast and Furious movie. I forget his name, but he's like a character actor. He gets tasked with another job, and you know he he looks in the bag, and it turns out to be a Chinese girl. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, what the fuck is going on here? And so. There's so many things I want to say that I love about this movie. It's it's succinct, right? It's like an hour and a half. It doesn't yes. bullshit around. It does not waste your time. Within the first 20 minutes, you've got that chase scene. You've got, got dudes firing rockets at his house. You've got... Uh, he, so people show up to his house to shoot rockets from a missile launcher into this like coastal French house. And then Jason Statham has like a hatch where he opens it up and he goes into like a underwater fucking cave system that he's got underneath his house to escape the explosions. It's incredible. And then towards the end of this movie, you've got that scene, which is the most homoerotic shit you've ever seen where he's fighting like seven dudes and he's completely shirtless. And so the best thing that he can come up with, to, to get through all these guys is there's a vat of motor oil and he dumps the motor oil on himself and on everybody. And now you've got all of these men slipping all over each other <laughs> trying to fight. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. movie is incredible. Um, there's so many moments like that, that to me are just like, Again, you want to talk about like the John Wick exists because the transporter, you know, 100%. Did, did the shit. <laughs> and, uh, there's just like such a degree of like it's so bombastic and like no yeah. fucks given at, at this point. And it's kind of a it's got like a uniquely French kind of like attitude to it because the French were like, you know, the, the, the type of like late 90s. Like they were really kind of out there, and Luc Besson's, uh, you know, he he did another one called uh, District B thirteen. That's like very just kind of like, mm. like it's kind of insane, like this, which is like a bunch of dudes doing parkour in an abandoned building. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like th- this to me is just like the epitome of the like 
you know, concept based, uh, single action movie star thing before, before it gets taken too far, before it gets too Hollywood and they add more to it and more explosions and more actors and more plot lines and stuff. This is a very simple premise. It takes you again. It doesn't waste your time. There's no character stuff. They do a little bit with between him and the, and the Chinese girl. And she basically only exists to like make him human for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then we go right back to like jumping off of helicopters and stuff. So, I fucking love the transporter, dude. <laughs> I, I so Lupuson is like a simple man, like basically very simple, very base desires. The, these film, like most of the films that he makes, it's pretty much guy, model, action. Yeah, that's it. Much. That's the movie. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I I feel like this this really made uh, Statham a thing. Like before then, he had been no, in the stock, sure. but like he was like he's not he's not a you know he wasn't going to be a comedian or whatever, like a funny guy. Like he's fucking. He's a ripped ass dude. He won a silver yeah. medal for in swimming. Yeah, he's an he was like an Olympic athlete now, yeah, or maybe not Olympic. Olympic, but was yeah, he? no, he was an Olympic. He won a silver medal for England in yeah. like the Olympics in like the nineties. Yeah, um, yeah, he's an Olympic athlete. He's fucking Captain Britain, basically. Yeah, uh, and <sighs> he sure like, is. Yeah, and like like this is the type of stuff that he should be in. Um, and he just needed the vehicle. You're right. Yeah. Or, you know, like the type mm. of action stuff where he's the star and like he does the, you know, the, the, the sort of like karate stunts and stuff very well. He does. Like, well, cause he, he's got some black belt and some shit. Like, you know, he, he's a fighter. He's an athlete. He's, he's got, what I like about him as like a lead for this type of thing, especially for like a driver is that he's not like a Schwarzenegger type where he's, he's like a bodybuilder. He's not roided out. He's, he's like, he's got lean muscle. Like he's a very he's lean, but very powerful, very athletic. He can kind of like, you know, jump, you know, climb up poles and do backflips and shit, uh, which is a different kind of a thing for like a meathead mm -hmm. uh, action star. Uh, so, yeah, it's just got all of these things combined. Um, it's got again, it's and I'm a sucker for that European flavor because I grew up there like uh, the first Jason Bourne movie. I love a lot for that reason. Like, it's got Franca Patente in it. Who is like a great German actress. Um, pretty sure she's German, but um Oh, run, Lola, run her. Yeah, her. Yeah. Um, so like it, 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 it's got all these things that pull me back to that kind of like mm -hmm. natal motherland type of thing of like, you know, the, the streets with the cobble and stuff. And like, they just happen to be, ch you know, chasing uh, Peugeots with the BMWs and, and stuff like that. Like very uniquely European things that I would recognize and I appreciate. Um, and then, yeah. And then you got again, you've got Corey Wynn. Who comes in and he's just like, I'm a fucking Chinese guy and I'm going to show you how to kill men in 18 different ways. Uh, there's this great scene in the movie where after he goes back to the guy who gives him the job and he like, there's just like all of these generic henchmen dudes hanging out, playing poker or whatever, shooting pool. They look through the keyhole and then Statham just kicks the door down and he's like beats them with like table legs and like all of these kind of almost Jackie Chan type stuff. It's just really like, it's a really... As stupid as it is, it's actually like a really smartly made movie. <laughs> so I they're, love it. They're I, just so good at making these movies. They really are. Yeah. I mean, like it's not easy to like start like three different franchises. True. Yeah. <laughs> like you think these people aren't trying to do that? Like, yeah. Like, you think people in Hollywood aren't just trying to like make, you know, as many franchises as possible? Like these they guys couldn't figure it out. Yeah. They yeah. every it, they couldn't. They uh they did for a while there um Jet Lee, you know, they they gave Jet Lee like 10 different chances. And um, or uh, what was the other one? Like, uh, oh god, the fucking well, to start, it was like Romeo Must Die, uh, Kiss of the Dragon, I think was a movie. 
Um, the one with him and uh, him and oh, the one I forget. There it's was like, the one. Yeah, the one. Yeah. The, uh, there was Unleashed, where he's literally Unleashed. like has a fucking collar. Yeah. yeah. Where he's an animal dude just fights people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Good one. Like the 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 action is pretty good, at least. And that was actually directed by uh, Louis Leterrier, who did the Transporter. So like they did a couple more of these, but like this this very first Transporter represents to me of like a shift in like it's just like a very like if, if it didn't come from like France and if it didn't come from outside of Hollywood, it would not have been good <laughs> because Hollywood just like I don't know they get bogged down in details and focus tests and focus groups and test audiences. I don't know what the fuck it is, but yeah, like you know you've what? got what like what? they get they get they get what you want, right? It's a simple yeah. premise. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a simple premise. Like what exactly. what is this the transporter uh taken? It's all just some simple shit. A guy yeah. getting his daughter stolen. A guy who has to, you know, he's he's the he's the drive he's the drive man. He's just he's office. just like the he's he, on and, the one day he, and one day he looks in in the at the thing and it's a woman, of course. It's a yeah, hot woman. right. It has to be a hot of woman, of course. Yeah, and, you know, like boom, that's it. Like every guy gets that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not gonna let her get killed. Exactly. I'm not gonna let her get killed or whatever yeah. or put settled in the sex slavery. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. Boom, that's it. But they're like in the like, oh well, well what like like this demographic and that demographic, like they get caught yes. you you nailed it, exactly. Because if, they get the premise and then they blow it up into something that that becomes And then you know, and they're 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 thinking of making all these deals like all right, we gotta have a scene where he, you know, eats a fucking Kit Kat yeah. while he's doing it. Like they had they 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 put all these things in while he's mm-hmm. fighting, like mm-hmm. what? No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. So yeah, it's why they keep it simple. They keep it simple premise, and like it's like okay, we need a lead who can really sell the action and a hot model, and you know we're just gonna direct the action. That's it. Yeah, just get get a couple guys who really know like how to direct action, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And it it just it just works. So yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for what the transporter has done because there's so many again. Like every time Hollywood, like I remember there was a there was a movie called Stolen with Nicolas Cage, which was literally just taken, but like with Nicolas Cage, and it was like set up to be like from yeah. within the Hollywood thing, and it sucked. It sucked a lot. And they got Simon West, who is the guy who did uh, Con Air. So like they 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 were like, how could we fuck this up? We got the guy who did Con Air with Nicolas Cage and The Expendables 2, and then we got Nicolas Cage, and we, we'll put like a couple, like we'll put like some Swedish models in it. It'll be great. And it wasn't. They so, yeah. Because it doesn't have heart, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's because, You know, what, what's really kind of sad is that I think Hollywood, they don't connect, because that's like, I've seen a lot of people that like they really connect with that kind of movie, you know, like they'll actually go out and they'll see it and they'll actually buy the physical media of it. Yes. But which is like a super rarity, but mm-hmm. they, they don't know how to make movies for those people anymore. No, they no, don't. because a lot of it just goes, it's like, it's very easy to slip from a transporter to a run of the mill, you know, Bruce Willis, Vincent D'Onofrio, Dennis, <laughs> whatever the fuck, you know, like it's very easy to slip into that. With like an Eric Roberts cameo, like exactly, exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the entire thing is like uh, headlined by a dude named Steve Guzman or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, they've they've definitely lost their way, but Transporter is always going to have a, a place in my heart, and I love it so 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 much. Yeah, yeah, those are fun films. I I think my favorite. Well, I don't know if my favorite, but like I I I remember the second one the most. Like the I like the model they had in that one as the villain, and she like there's some fun fact. Fun fact. Uh, the you talking about the the chick with the uh, with the tattoos and the bikini and shit. 
tall and like and yeah. she's wearing heels. Yeah, <laughs> she heels. she is one of my best friends, Romanian friend. Uh, she is his cousin. She is my friend's cousin. <laughs> so cool. I I have I have very deep ties to the transporter. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a cool franchise. I really like it. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Um, and again, it takes a lot of talent to just like spit out a franchise, like not a movie, a yeah. franchise, like multiple franchises. And, yeah. and like they made him, they made Jason State. They absolutely made him. Because I don't remember before that, like you said, he was in the Guy Ritchie movies. Uh, he maybe had some bit parts in here and there. But like after this, he's in the Italian job. And after this, he's in like big, well, he also, big he also, movies. Like, he did Crank. I love Crank. Dude, I was going to put Crank on the list, but I decided to go with the Transporter instead. I fucking love Crank. Well, what I, I bring up Crank because Crank is like, that's for that's for the degenerate people that love degenerate crazy action, you know? Yeah. That's, yeah. Like, that's like doing one for the people who got you there. That's exactly <laughs> like, what that was. It's like you, you've, you've made it big and, uh, you know, you got to do, you know, the big concert hall, but you also got to do the You got to play the, yeah, you got to play the Will Turn every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> you got to... You gotta go to the speakeasy where everyone's drunk and they're like, yeah, play the fucking play the fucking song. Yeah, <laughs> I I love Crank almost as much as I love this movie. It's just pure yeah. degenerate. Garbage. Oh, it is so degenerate. But like, yeah. they, they know their audiences. You know, it's it's a Chinese hot boy. <laughs> What's in this shit? I'm just thinking of that scene in the second one where he like he bangs his girlfriend. Yeah, at a racetrack. <laughs> legendary like scene people like there's a lot of, again well they're they do that scene <laughs> no no way they they, they end up on the racetrack and and she's on top he's on the bottom and a, and a horse jumps over them and you get this like slow-mo pov shot of this erect horse cock yeah. flying <laughs> over them it's incredible i love those movies i <laughs> would love to make something like that one day <laughs> right they do it's, and X to X age. <laughs> like it is been 16 to 45. Yeah, you're right. And, I don't care. Put me in a box. If, if you're going to see it, then you'll see it. But like, we yeah. don't give, if you don't like it, it's called Crank. Yeah. So. <laughs> My name is Jeff Chilios. <laughs> yeah, for, I, I, I forgot about the, the horse dick in the mic. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, my number 56. Yeah, please, just class it up. <laughs> Do something. It's another Bergman film. This is Persona. Yeah, okay, um, fuck yeah, here we go. Yeah. So Persona is like, is an absolute mess. Oh my uh, goodness. Talk about a simple premise. So yeah. like this woman who's an actress, she has some kind of a breakdown. She just won't talk anymore. So <clears throat> she like goes and this uh, um, nurse is trying to basically help her or whatever. They're on some island, I guess. It's just like the three of them. It's like the husband, the wife, and then the the nurse. And slowly, they all kind of basically the the two women kind of go insane, and they kind of switch personalities. Yeah. Very very interesting psychological kind of horror in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> this film is extremely brilliant. It's it's extremely brilliant because it's almost like a it's almost like a like a Freudian kind of thing put to life, but not in a way that sucks, but like done well. Yeah. Like there's a stuff. There's that great shot of like. If there's like a child like touching the image of this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, there's of course the famous image that you'll see if you put in persona, you'll see the two of them together, like looking yeah. in the mirror at each other. Yeah. And it's very, it's seductive, but also kind of dark. And I don't know, they, that, 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 
that image says a lot about the film. <laughs> I think it, it's very emblematic. <clears throat> but what I like is like a lot of his films revolve around sort of people talking at each other, saying things and sort of expressing their feelings in different ways. But he's so good. Like he's actually really, really good at blocking the way that they uh, are when they're doing these basically it's just long dialogue scenes. Mm-hmm. And you're always like engaging with someone's face. You're always engaging yeah. with someone's reaction, both people. So he's able to like get both people without cutting. And he's like brilliant. I, I recently I watched, uh, I think it's called Winter's Light, a film that he did. And that was a little earlier film. And he, he did that kind of stuff there. Just really, really brilliant about the way that, because he knows that, okay, I want to just show the characters there and not have to cut away because it's a little bit more powerful. So he, so he's just really able to figure out ways to, to, to not cut away from those shots to give us the full feeling of these scenes because when they just play out it, it feels differently uh there's also mm-hmm. another scene he does that's really interesting where he does a i'm pretty sure it's like a rear projection of these two characters i don't know like they're together or something it's like the husband and the wife and then like the <clears throat> the um nurse is like watching them or something and so again you see all three of them together and you're just like watching their reactions and that's like that's a that's a really kind of i don't know if i've ever seen someone do that where it's like a normal dialogue scene and in order to like have all the characters together, he did a rear projection of just two people like just making out or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know what you're talking yeah, about. it's like it's like all really, really interesting, ex- almost experimental, yeah. stylistic ideas mm-hmm. to serve the story that's kind of just like a psychological drama. Um, and the 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 end effect you feel is just this kind of I don't know. It just it just it just really gets at you. Yeah, this movie is just unfuckwithable. <laughs> It's so cool. And I can't think of anyone or anything really. I mean, there obviously people have been riffing on the Bergman kind of like thing for, for a long time. Like they've always done the kind of like some of the psychological stuff, but like this movie's so interesting. Like just the, yeah, cause like the, the, the dynamic between the two characters, like just the interpersonal stuff, like the, the, yeah. the whole idea of like melding together with another person, but like <laughs> not sci-fi. I don't know. It's like interesting. Uh, I, I, I like it a lot. And, uh, when you're talking about like the, the, this kind of like the rear projection stuff, like the, the, the pure cinematic stuff that he does, I think, um, Coppola did some of the stuff that's in persona. He was, he did it for a uh, rumblefish. Like he did the rear projection thing where like he had people that were not there. I think it was cause like they just weren't there. Like they, they had him on different <laughs> days, but like yeah. he did, he did a thing because he was like so far up his own ass on that movie. And he was just ripping off all of these great directors that like, he did a scene like that where like he put up like, um, uh, a scene, of things that are like are not there while other people are talking about it. So I think he did that exact scene with the with the with the couple that's in this movie. So like certainly uh, a lot of the movies that I like have a lot to like pay respect to to this movie in particular. And I think it's definitely it's one of the mo- most talked about movies of, of Bergman's for sure. Yeah, I feel I, I think this is the highest Bergman film for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so brilliant. It's just so brilliant and. It's also very dark, but very kind of expressionistic and like um, experimental, um, but also kind of being grounded. And you like you, you know, you don't get like lost in stuff. You like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, it's always it's always about really these two characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two women and how they're, you know, mind melding. <laughs> yeah, I love um, it, man. Yeah, because I remember like there, you know, you were talking about people kind of doing it. And I, I there was someone who was talking. I'm not well versed into the. uh Oh, oh, the what's his name? Um, I forget. Like the guy who did like Manhattan. Uh, 
the director. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah, Woody Allen, I'm, Woody Allen. Yes, so thank you. Were, I'm, were, people were saying that like Woody Allen got obsessed with Bergman and then he tried to do Bergman for a while and he just couldn't. So he oh, made like okay. a couple bad movies and he went back to being Woody Allen. Okay, um, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, well, I, I didn't get too far into Woody Allen either. I yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I find that interesting because like he's definitely very seductive of a the style. Yeah. Because it's it's so like, you know, it's so subtle. It's so subtle because what's really what works is the way the writing and the characters and the acting. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's but always that's, that's, that's always the really case. fucking hard. That's really that's, fucking hard. That's to, always the case with, with Bergman. And as far as I can tell from the limited stuff I've seen, it's always like it's ultimately, like you said, it's always about just the, the, the interpersonal stuff. It's about the characters, but the way that he frames it and the way that like he kind of like really fucks with it to like bring out to like materialize the psychological stuff in the like in the film language it's it's really really interesting yeah yeah and yeah to, definitely like those the the reprojection shit is just like so brilliant it's so, so cool so brilliant like the way because like you know there's always that sort of classic problem of like when you have two people talking how do you make it dynamic mm-hmm. um and you can tell he deliberately made style his choices that make it so that it's you're always totally engaged yeah with both people mm-hmm. all the time or more or three in the case of like the, the making out and stuff. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just so brilliant and you know, it all serves such a great purpose. And like you said, this movie is very talked about, very, very talked about. Yeah. 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 For good reason. For good reason. Um, it kind of reminds me of like um, the kind of like a uh, knockoff versions of some of the stuff like Polanski was doing some of this stuff in the sixties as well. Like he, he got, he went, he did like a string of like psychological horror type stuff. Um like repulsion and things like that, that mm-hmm. like were very influenced by this movie in particular. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. Polanski's like, Polanski's another guy. I feel like you, you basically just give him two actors and like a, a hotel room and he'll make a movie. <laughs> That's, and I love that stuff, man. <laughs> That's like all of his movies. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah pretty amazing yeah so that's that's uh where are we at number 56 that's my number 56 persona by bergman 56 okay awesome yeah fucking great movie uh Mm -hmm. my number 56 is oi oi cunt we gotta gotta go back to britain um we're going back to to jason statham we're going back to britain we're going back to saying you know firing off curse words per second uh we're talking about snatch we're talking about guy Ritchie's snatch well, we're not talking about Guy Ritchie's snatch. Do you see? Do you see what he did there? Yeah. Uh, I hate. Yeah. I said a fire. What is it? What is it? I I hate the title of this movie. I think the movie title of this is garbage, uh, and it inhibits it a lot, in my opinion, because it's what is it about? It's about snatching diamonds. I get it, but like it undersells what is one of the most brilliantly like scripted movies that like I've ever seen. Certainly in the last, you know, in, in this millennium, in this like era that we're in. Um, and this is, I mean, th- these are the types of scripts that like really don't come along very often. Like this is, this is like Tarantino on ketamine. I mean, it's insane. This script, yeah, it's, it's yeah, absolutely yeah. bad shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got all the guy Richie isms. He does. <laughs> so it's like, obviously it's very, quickly paced and quickly edited there's a lot of voiceover there's i've to me it always felt like the guy Ritchie stuff like again the lock stock and snatch in particular was just like he saw goodfellas and it really like did it for him and then he like saw a tarantino movie and it like really did it for him and then he like watched a bunch of 90s music videos and then like that's kind of what his style <laughs> is um 
to me. So like this movie comes in, it just like starts firing off all cylinders. You're introduced to all these wacky characters. All of them have like nicknames, which is kind of like, a, to, it's like the Scorsese influence where like, you know, you've got, you know, Frankie five fingers and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But like everybody has Johnny a nickname. It is. Johnny two times. Right. Two times yeah. right. You've got uh, the bullet tooth, Tony and Mickey O'Neill and like all of these great, great named characters in, um, I don't know how the fuck this cast came together, but it's such an incredible, it's amazing, incredible cast. They I mean, probably read that script and they were like, and they like lock stock and they were like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. 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 So basically, I mean, it's about, um, they're boxing. They're like boxing promoters or something. Right. And so they're right. They're basically trying to set up these like Brits are trying to set up a fight and they, uh, they go to get this Irish guy, uh, played by Brad Pitt in one of the absolute greatest performances. One I don't care greatest. what anyone says. One of the best yeah, performances he's absolutely. ever put in. It's funny. It's it's good. It's uh, the, that whole like gypsy camp that they set up oh is is incredible and hilarious. So I think yeah, one of the, the the Guy Ritchie things that he really gets is like when he's writing about the stuff that he like knows about which is like all of these like little kind of nooks and crannies of like England of like all these different types of characters. It really like works. Like he's got the, he's got the corrupt bookies. He's got Dennis Farina in this movie is phenomenal. Everybody in this movie is phenomenal. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough good things about snatch. It's one of those movies that like it works for you when you're a teenager and you're watching it with your buddies and you're getting drunk and high or whatever. And then it also, it just, it, it doesn't really get worse. It only gets better the more times you see this movie. It's very funny. It's very quick. It's very witty. Uh, the, again, the something that Guy Ritchie doesn't get enough credit for because, you know, he, he kind of took his own career completely off the cliff when he started making, like, they kept giving him more and more money, and so he just, like, he went for it, you know? Uh, but, like, the distilled... He, he kind of took it back to this with, with the gentleman oh, last year. Gentleman. Yeah, but, That's like... It's absolutely a return to form, but like I don't. There's snatch is just like a light. It's like a lightning bolt of a movie. It's yeah. it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I feel like there's so there's Lockstock, Snatch, a Rock and Rolla, and the Gentleman. Was there another one, or would you say those um, are like those are in that style? Those are sure. all sort of in the same style. Yeah, Revolver yeah. is is a little yeah. more head trippy, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like those are like and again, yeah, you're totally right. Snatch is like the peak. This is this is Guy Ritchie distilled in the best way possible. Yeah. This is him. It's super funny. I like isn't there a scene in this like they do a robbery and then like there's a guy they like the guy who's so he's like so big, this big ass black dude can't even yeah. fit in the car. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just like all these hilarious things. And like, yeah, there's that scene, the I'll fight you for it scene where, where I'll fight like, you for it. Where it's like this big ass dude is fighting Brad Pitt <laughs> and the guy gets killed. I think the guy gets killed, right? The yeah, yeah. Killed. Well, he 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 gets laid out in like one one slap or whatever. Yeah, he does. Brad just yeah. takes him out and he does this great shot of like the guy who was I, the friend or who I forget who these characters are, but it's like this other guy who's handling. Yeah was handling the guy who gets his ass beat and it's just a slow-mo shot of him and everyone's like fucking cheering like because they're betting on this fight and he's like slowly backing away because <laughs> he's totally fucked not only is his muscle like dead because but he lost his bet for yeah. some like a car or whatever some crazy shit and and now all this shit's he- owned by gypsy yeah and he's got this like unhinged irish gypsy just like ready for blood (laughs) (laughs) i remember there's another scene too i think they they, there's a lot of gambling related stuff in this film yeah yeah uh they make a bet on like a greyhound or something it's like a greyhound is gonna catch a hare 
Mm-hmm. That was a rich and really interesting scene. So, like, they do this side bet or whatever, and you see, and they shoot it in slow motion, and you see this fucking dog running after this rabbit, <laughs> and it's just, like, really, like, oh, shit, is he gonna, because, like, that, uh, that's, that's compelling. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of back alley shit, and, like, you're talking about, that's the grimy, it, like, yeah, you know, stuff that happens in Atlanta where they fight dogs and shit. Mm-hmm. Happens. Mm-hmm. People don't talk about it, but, like, that shit happens a lot. Yeah. That's and I'm, stuff that doesn't get talked about that is a real shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, again, I love that he was able to find, like, not necessarily find, but, like, at least place all of these things. Because, like, you were talking, like, th- these things exist. And then he was able to place them in this world where, like, everybody's a degenerate. They're degenerate gamblers. They're, you know, fighting animals. They're fighting each other. They're whatever. So, like, I, I love the world that it creates and uh again i just that script man that the 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 dialogue and how kind of like it's it's that's why i'm saying it's the peak because it doesn't get too far ahead of itself it's not too far up its own ass like some of his other movies are uh it's not annoying with it Mm -hmm. uh it's just kind of like the right amount of like everybody's living in this heightened reality of just absurd shit and it it all just kind of works and it's absurd comedy and it's great and like he really gets like almost all of the pretty good mid-tier british actors right they just come out he gets a lot of them yeah he's they just come out uh and it's it's really awesome and again he like he he created jason statham pretty much no 100 percent. yeah he created him um other people you know the transporter people perfected him for what he should do but he created jason statham just the tough no no shits given you know yeah yeah, who else is? I feel like there's one other big name that's well, Benicio movie. del Toro's in, Benicio's movie. in it. Yeah, Benicio yeah, yeah, yeah. also incredible in this. He's yeah. Frankie Four Fingers because he loses yeah. a fucking finger. <laughs> I love it, dude. I, I but yeah. Brad Pitt is incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, and I again, I don't know if it, the, the title of this movie is stupid, but I feel like not as many people have seen this movie as as they sh- as they should. Like, I feel like I talked to a lot of people who are like, "Oh, is that which one is that?" You know, like. This, this, in my opinion, is right up there with like Pulp Fiction. Like, it's got to be discussed in those terms of just like what an absurd script of just like you you set up all the basic elements and then just shit goes wrong and like bizarre things happen. And the you know the one of the guys is too fat; he can't get into the car, and a yeah. dog eats a guy's finger, and like all of yeah. these things that they, they just happen and they pile on top of each other. And you've got like all of these bookies going after all these different people and they're all trying to kill each other and they all end up killing each other at the end, like in a Tarantino film. Isn't there yeah. also, there's, there's like, there's the guy, I feel like, doesn't someone get, they threaten to feed him to pigs in this movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, it, char- that character is incredible too. Oh yeah. Plays, but that guy is so good. Was it, is it so, Boris, the Boris, the blade? It might be Boris. I think like, he's, like, he's like one of those, he's like the actual, you know, like leader of some kind of yeah know, yeah the guy who like runs the boxing ring or whatever and he's just like yeah i'll feed you to my pigs i remember yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's either yeah. way it's so he, complex he's so fucking funny and like again he writes this dialogue where like there's a fuck a minute there's a cunt a minute yes it's like hilarious yes. it's hilarious yeah 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 it's so absolutely i mean it's got it, like the people who, who see this movie they talk about it a lot and they absolutely hold it in high regards but i think they should like really I don't know, maybe do a, another remaster or something and like get it out there. Cause this movie is so fun and it's so entertaining and they should just like put it on the front of Netflix or something. Cause like the, 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 the original, like you ha- sometimes you have to remember like why guy Richie is g- given, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to do yeah. Aladdin or whatever. The why fuck. The, like, it's, yeah, it's because, yeah, it's because of snatch and lock stock <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything else. Like immediately after this, he like 
marries Madonna or whatever, and they just have make like they get swept away. Yeah, got him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. That's a yeah, yeah. I I definitely I like I like the the that's definitely like the 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 better of the of all the Guy Ritchie stuff. I think yeah, the gentleman was really good. It was definitely returned to form. The gentleman was definitely returned to form. Yeah, because again, like when because there's a scene in the gentleman where like a bunch of roadmen, you know, they go to the weed farm and they like start shooting a music video while they beat people's asses. <laughs> yeah. That's that's Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Like, I get it. Like that's he's working within like the the, the milieu of that world yeah. of just like just like dumb they're literally shit. shooting a viral video as they're robbing a weed farm. Exactly. <laughs> like they're just dumb shit criminals. And it's doing... like those people are 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 the they're the students of a boxing of a guy boxing guy who's, who is like not really a criminal but like he'll get involved if he has to yeah he'll get involved if he has to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who's played by uh well, who's the actor? Colin Farrell Colin Farrell yeah yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like oh this one of me boys or whatever you know yeah yeah he's <laughs> actually Irish <laughs> playing an Irish guy it's great yeah great. yeah when guy reaches on his stuff like it's funny mm-hmm. yeah. all right so yeah so my number 55 is um safety last oh so this is like i'd say one of the best harold lloyd comedies and you know again like keaton and chaplin the mm-hmm. silent comedians they did all these you know chaplin did the like i guess the smaller scale like you know like the stuff with the uh what was that the gold rush where he hate where he was like he had the the two potatoes and he was dancing with the potatoes oh, <laughs> you know yeah. the smaller scale laughs and like buster keaton would make a joke with the train or like you know buster keaton thing. would Go yeah. out there, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Buster Keaton was like crazy. He was insane. Like, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd is somewhere in the middle. Um, I think he's not as well renowned for them. He's probably not in as many great films, but I think this one is really, really good. And this one is known for like him hanging off the clock face. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's what this one is known for. This film has a lot of other kind of really good laughs in it. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really, really appreciated this one because I think that the, the directors and, and all of them, they did a really good job because like basically you have to come up with a whole bunch of gags and they could, you know, they, they basically came up with three reels worth of gags and put them all mm-hmm. together. Like get the whole stuff. Very rapid fire. Yeah. 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 So it's like joke, 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 joke. And usually there's like a, the, like there's a girl, like that's the formula. There's a girl try to got to impress the girl, but uh, the, the protagonist is an idiot. So it's hard for him. And so meanwhile, he's hanging off a he's hanging off a clock. He's yeah being attacked by cops. Uh, he's running around. Yeah, the, I, but I just love these films and like they're you know they did some brilliant stuff. They did some stuff, dude. They did some stuff. I mean, <laughs> some of the stuff that they were doing, like him and, and Buster Keaton, and like uh, those like really kind of physical guys. It's it's shit that like um, I, I I would not like from a safety advisor perspective like i i i would not green light this shit Dude, i would not allow when, it when keaton did that thing where the house fell on him <laughs> like, no. like, they said people literally were like i'm i'm out i don't want to see him die and they just left seriously yeah that was in so, 1920 whatever when people didn't give a fuck <laughs> yeah well they really didn't because they they had like they had the the circus was huge so these are basically just circus freaks who are making movies yeah. they gave a camera and like you know ten thousand dollars like okay and, yeah um yeah these are vaudeville circus people mm-hmm. and they you know like hey these movie things because like you know again movies uh we kind of talked about this i think maybe last week but movies were not really considered art or anything right? yeah. Or theo, yeah, yeah, yeah unfortunately um and a, a lot of reason why uh 
yeah, I read about this. A lot of reason why like these films don't exist anymore is like they would show the film, they'd show the film maybe regionally or whatever, and they would just burn it. Yeah, they would literally just burn the film, and it's like, oh, well, that's trash. We'll burn it, destroy it, and because they saw no use for it after that, they didn't yeah, think it, there was any legacy for it. They just thought it was just a, you know, just like just like when you go to the circus, you get a program of the circus or something. It's just like that. It's just a, mm-hmm. a thing. That's crazy to me. Yeah. No, we talked about this for sure last week, but that it's insane to me. And it's awesome that like we have some of these artifacts because like, just, again, like the, the, the sheer insanity of, of these stunts are just like, they would never, I mean, I think the last thing I can think of in, in popular culture was like when Jackie Chan was doing shit like this in the eighties, you know, in China where he was just like actually just jumping off of buildings and shit like that. Falling yeah. down. Like there's this one movie where he's like, he's they're like at a mall and he's falling down a, glass window yeah he's well he's going through like multiple glass windows like on this like electric pole it's just some fucking crazy shit it's crazy yeah yeah and, and he really like he he's 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 doing what they did but yeah fight scenes instead of yeah. comedy. i mean there's comedy that the drunken the, the drunken master right? is basically that yeah. yeah it's basically that but like the there's fight scenes with punchlines mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. punch pretty much yeah yeah, so I mean, it's 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 the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, pr- basically, basically, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. But I'm glad that you know some of these survived. So like the batshit insanity of the 1910s and 20s is able to influence someone like Jackie Chan, like halfway across the world. Yeah, it's yeah, like you know, they it's it's impressive stuff. And the and you know, around this time, the the mid to late 20s, they were really totally figuring out all of the cinematic techniques of their time. Yeah. So they they had perfected the silent film structure of yeah. feature films. They totally figured it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Good stuff. So yeah, um, Safety Last from 1923. That's my number 55. Safety Last. Uh, all right, cool. My number 55 is now we're getting into the uh, the uh, taboo, like, ooh, the censors. Oh, no, they're going to come get us. We're getting to the NC-17 stuff, but that like still got released somehow. Uh, so number 55 is, uh, the great Alan Parker's, uh, angel heart, Alan Parker. We lost this year, unfortunately, one of the great casualties, one of the, one of the many casualties of 2020, I should say, uh, he's the guy who made uh, midnight express, Mississippi burning, uh, Evita, stuff like that. Angel heart is a movie that is talked a little bit less about, but, uh, well, in terms of the merit of the movie, but it's talked about in terms of like just hard censorship. Cause this movie was just like. The, this the, Hollywood was not going to let this movie come out. They're like, no, 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 this is too fucking much. You got to pare it down. You got to pare it down. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I believe they gave it an X rating and they put it out there to die. <laughs> uh, but it, it has come back. Uh, I think Lionsgate picked it up like a couple decades ago and they restored it. And now it's it's one of the great the kind of like uh, 80s noir horror things. So it's really, really interesting movie. So Angel Heart is uh, stars Mickey Rourke, like a really, really sexy 80s Mickey Rourke. Uh, who's a private investigator and he he's hired by Robert De Niro who just like looks sketchy. He just like, he's, he's got like a cane and he's got like his hair all slicked back. And you're like, that's not kind of the Robert De Niro that you're used to seeing. Uh, He looks like a pimp dude. And yeah, so he's hired to track down the singer or whatever in um, the, in some Louisiana or something like that. It's like in a bayou. Uh, And uh, it's very smoky. It's very kind of, again, it's like a, it's a private detective thing. So it's like, it's got all its ties to all the noir stuff. Um, And as he gets closer to, you know, finding stuff out about the singer and kind of like the community that she's in, she's kind of like slowly realizing there's like some pagan shit going on. 
and uh, there's like uh, like he sees them dancing around these like sculptures and like uh, they see them like sacrificing chickens and like draining the blood and shit and then he's kind of like he's intrigued by it but he's just like this is getting weird uh, more or less so this movie I love this movie because it's like it's never upfront it's not like the devil's advocate or anything where it's like ah, Al Pacino is the devil and whoa it's not like that it's very it's a lot more subtle uh, but Robert De Niro is the devil in this basically and uh, so he gets involved with the singer he gets involved with the girl and it's basically about Mickey Rourke just kind of like you know he's starting in the normal world and then as he investigates the thing it, he gets flipped and he ends up in the other world where you know there's demons and shit um, spirits whatever uh, and you can believe all of it is real and it happened or you can believe it's all in his mind kind of uh, but there's a lot of really cool, like there's really graphic stuff in it. Like again, like the sacrificing of the animals and stuff. I'm obviously, I'm sure the stuff wasn't real, but it's, it's convincing enough. Uh, there is a sex scene in this movie that goes on for like a very long time. And like he, at this point, he's basically having sex with sex with this like priestess uh, who is like, <laughs> uh, but, but like, so it's not, it's not as stupid as it sounds. Like it's not, um, and it's it's it has to do with like the legacy of the place like these people are like really into like the 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 ancient people who were there before them the mayans whoever the fuck and uh, they're honoring this stuff and so there's a scene while when he's having sex with this girl who is you know the one he was supposed to find and uh like the house is like crumbling and bleeding around them and it's like all this heavy rain is pouring and it's like really intense and they're all like they're like it's like really it gets really bloody and shit like it's really gross uh but it's sort of like you know it just symbolizes kind of like this guy gets a little too involved with all of this pagan shit and then uh, by the end of the movie the great shot i love this and uh, i've seen it ripped off in a couple other horror movies but um it's the scene where like mickey rourke basically gets in an elevator and the elevator just goes down and it keeps going down and it goes down forever. And then the credits start to play. And you kind of like realize at that point, he's just like descending into actual hell. It's a really cool movie. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people don't talk about it outside of the censorship stuff. Cause it was like a big censorship case. This movie was just like, you can't show this shit. There's animals getting killed. There's blood. Like they're having sex and there's like blood pouring all over them and there's nudity. And I don't like it, but uh, it's a really, panic. it's satanic panic pretty much is what this movie is. Yeah. Uh, but it's really cool. It's really fucking cool. Yeah, this is one I've heard of I haven't seen yet. Um, mm. It does sound like a more uh, hard R, harder R of the, the Devil's Advocate kind of stuff um, without the familial. No, I, I wouldn't say that. It sounds like the premise is very similar, but the, the Devil's Advocate is like, is just really, really dumb. The Devil's Advocate <laughs> is just like, it's a pop kind of a movie. And yeah, this movie take this movie takes itself very seriously. The Devil's Advocate does not. This movie like really is trying really hard to play like a like a Chinatown or something. Like a really like this guy is just like a private detective and he just ends up in this world. Uh yeah, it just yeah. Right. But it, it doesn't help that Robert De Niro looks like a fucking pimp in it because uh, <laughs> that makes it a little sillier. And he's got these I remember that he's got these like long nails too. Like yeah. really long nails and they're like really dirty. And so like the it's it's a little bit of a mind. It's I, I would say it's closer to like a Jacob's Ladder than a Devil's yeah, Advocate. Jacob's Ladder, like yeah, the plot twist kind of stuff. Yeah, and it, and it's not a because there isn't like a moment where it like it it like flips all of a sudden. It's just, it's a slow descent. 
the entire movie it's just like you're losing your mind along yeah. with the Mickey Rourke and so it's like they I, never really tell you like oh it's this it's like you just sort they, of they, it doesn't take a stance it's just kind of yeah. like you know maybe he made too much out of it and maybe these people are crazy maybe there is a, a, a demonic force at play uh, and I like there's a there was a couple movies like this that were made late 80s early 90s there's one with Denzel Washington and James Gandolfini that I really like called Fallen where that movie's fucking crazy dude that movie's so crazy but it's I like this. That, and i saw that like just randomly one night and i was like what the fuck like when i got to the ending of that movie i was like i literally was like what the fuck what there was a scene yeah no those are the kinds of sh- that's the shit that I, I love like uh but there was a string of movies where like the, the, there was there's a devil and it's possessing people to do shit and then like the, the protagonist yeah the protagonist kind of gets taken over by it at the end uh, so, but this is Angel Heart. I mean, if you talk to people who've seen it, like they, it, it's absolutely like one of the better, like noir eighties kind of like, it's just like an interesting movie. I don't know. And, um, it's very fucked up. Like the, the imagery in it. And like, I understand why the censors were, were freaking out about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what they like, there's like a goat or something and they like, sure. Yeah. There's goats, there's chickens. There's, um, <laughs> there's a couple, there's a couple like uh, murders that he finds that are like, uh, basically like a Jack the Ripper type situation where he like, he's, he's looking for this girl and then like all these murders start popping up and there's like people without like heads and legs and shit. And you're just like, Oh, Oh, the, what, what is going on? So then you're like, are these people doing it because they're under the influence of a cult or a devil or whatever? And so, you know, it, it's kind of got that vibe going on. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm all about, baby. Yeah. Um, Angel Heart. <laughs> Angel Heart. Um, all right. So my number 54, this is a French film from 1960 uh, called The True or The Whole. Um, this is directed by Jacques Becker. Um, I think he died shortly after the game came out, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so the idea of this movie, so there's four prisoners and they are going to dig out of their prison and they've been kind of Shawshank Redemption style. Mm-hmm. slowly digging their way out uh, and then another person moves into their cell and they decide that they're going to tell him about their plan uh and then they're like okay we got three days and we're going to uh basically complete our plan break the concrete floor and dig our way out and it's, it's just about them are they gonna escape or not that's a great premise yeah it's an amazing <laughs> film and it's all basically the whole film takes place in the cell in that i figured cell. And like maybe a little bit in the prison, you know, cafeteria or whatever. Um, but it's so brilliant the way he makes everything in this cell cinematic, the way it uh, is compelling, uh, the way that you're always like, are they going to pull this off or not? It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing the stuff that he's able to do. I mean, for basically a one location kind of film, yeah, it's one of the best I've ever seen. Um, yeah, that's all of this. Because <laughs> I, I was going to ask, because like we were talking about Bergman earlier and how like if when you're shooting a conversation, you know, how do you make it not just shot reverse shot? How do you make it interesting? There's a there's a subset of that of like, how do you make a one location film interesting? Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the best ones for sure. This is one of the best ones I've ever seen for sure. Um, and yeah. And that's that's the whole movie. Are they going to get out or not? OK, well, don't tell me because uh, I'm going to add it to my watch list. Yeah, I would. I would watch again. I would watch that. That's really fucking good movie. Um mm-hmm. I think that's all I need to say. <laughs> okay, really then you've really you've good. you've you've got me, dude. Cool. Le trou. Yeah. Fucking French um, people. I, lo- I love these French movies too where they like they delve into like the criminal stuff and the uh, kind of, you know, like the noir stuff. There's a they've there's a lot of good like the heist they they've got a lot of good heist movies too. Oh, the French? Um, yeah. There's yeah. some I don't know if you've seen Rafifi. Uh, no, but I've heard of it. 
for Fifi is a really good one. Uh, uh, we talk, I think we talked about this maybe off air a little bit, like uh, the Jean-Pierre Melville films, like the Samurai, the the Circle Rouge. Dude, uh, those movies stuff. are so cool. Ledoulos, I think Ledoulos was another one. Uh, just like these really good because they're just so stylistic. Yeah. But it's interesting because like it's always interesting when you see them kind of take on those kind of American things, but do it in a French way. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, like the guy Melville, that was his career. Was, that was doing. His entire thing. Yeah. His career was basically making kind of like the American noir crime films mixed with like a kind of like a bit of like the James Bondy kind of stuff. But yeah. The cause the French really invented a lot of this stuff. Like all the pulp, like way back in the pulp days, uh, like Le Vampire and these other characters. Oh yeah. Were French pulp characters. Mm-hmm. And they got like, you know, turned into American and British kind of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. I like some of that stuff more sometimes because it's a little more, um, like specifically like um, uh, the samurai and stuff like that, where it's like it takes, like you said, it takes all the the noir shit that you know, obviously, like is you know, you've got your fucking um, Billy Wilders and whatever, like that we're doing this stuff, but like it's some part of it is just like a little more stripped. It's like a lot more stripped down and more kind of like the essence of it. That comes through in, in a lot of these like 60s, 70s French movies that I really, really like. Um, it's like less, I don't know, it's just as stylized, but it's just in a different way. I don't really know. I can't really put my finger on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's also like a little, it's it's more realistic, is, I think is what it is. Is just, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Um, the way that they're shot, like it's less kind of like this heightened reality and it's more of like a normal reality. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, the the... Obviously, I, I love it when people ape stuff from other cultures and they do it in their own way, and that's definitely one of the things. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a really good like if you're into like the you know the simple premise. Yeah, you love the true. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so that's my number fifty-four, the true from Jacques Becker. Okay, so then it's time for my number fifty-four. Correct, that's where we're at. Yes, uh, number fifty-four. This is just straight up like one of the best movies ever made. Uh, just full stop. Uh, it's called The Lives of Others. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normally, I would try to pronounce the original title, but fuck German, dude. I'm just not into it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I take it you've seen this one? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay, so I don't have to upsell it. That's good. Because uh, I I feel like it's a duty of mine to do this. Uh, particularly for someone whose parents grew up in, like, communist Eastern Europe. This movie takes place in East Berlin, and it's basically about the Stasi officer who, you know, I mean, they're we had a term for it in Romanian called the Securist, which basically means like they're the 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 kind of it it's got like its root in like security. It's it's kind of like they're they're the people who are like always listening to you and watching you and making sure like that the country is secure, uh, which means that you are not able to have like a, a thought that isn't you know the party is good and I love the party, uh, long live the party kind of a thing. Yeah. And so yeah, the thought police. <laughs> the thought, literally. So yeah. So what is this movie about? There's um, what I like about this movie is it gets into some of the parliamentary stuff, into some of the hierarchy of like the the bureaucracy of like how the spying shit worked. Because the the main character is uh, again, I don't, I can't say any of their names. Weisler. He's the guy who's like listening in on on these couples, and his superior wants him to listen to. This one guy in particular to just make sure that like every he's he's like the perfect like uh, 
citizen basically and he wants to make sure that like that can't possibly be right so you gotta spy on this guy and make sure everything's on the up and up and then (laughs) he's too good and then later he comes to find out guy's totally legit but the guy who who told him to do this his his superior is actually trying to this other guy's trying to take his job and he's also fucking his wife and there's like this all this whole thing going on but uh, the, the plot of this movie is very, very complicated because I don't have the ability to set up the, again, the hierarchy of, of the, the, the authority of, of the, all yeah. the different characters. But the movie sets it up brilliantly. And so basically, after we, we get the setup, we kind of just get to hang out and live with these two characters, the, the man and his wife, the, the perfect citizen and his wife, and through the lens of like the guy that's listening to them. And as he listens to them, he kind of gets involved in their problems in like a positive way. And he like, he'll, he'll slip a letter here or he'll hire someone to do something here to kind of help them out. And then he uncovers the plot. Basically it's, it's cool because the system's corrupt, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole point is like communism is a a lot of people will say communism is a good idea, but it just, it'll never work because it can't possibly work because there's always going to be corruption. There's corruption at every level in every system ever, like full stop. So that's the kind of what I like about it is that you've got this like optimist Stasi guy who's like, it's like a weird thing. Uh, But he's, he's trying to do the right thing, but he's in the system where like doing the right thing by default is doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're like uh, infringing on people's privacy and kind of controlling their lives in that way. And uh, this movie's got a great fucking ending um, where kind of everything comes to a head and uh, the, our, our main character has to kind of like go away and he, he checks in on the people that he's inadvertently kind of like ru- he ends up ruining their lives just by virtue of doing his job. And he kind of checks in on him at the end, and it's like a really tragic thing. And uh, it's just a really beautiful movie. It won the uh, Oscar for Best Foreign Film in the year that it came out. But I feel like if this movie came out, like, change nothing. If you put it out this year or last year, it would absolutely be up for Best Picture. Now that, you know, we've kind of opened that to other movies that are not just Hollywood movies. Uh, It's just such a brilliantly crafted movie. And uh, I just love that it kind of... There's a subset of like, and there's a couple other movies on my list from like the 70s where like they deal with the communist stuff Yeah. Um, that I really like. It's a European, like the Europeans like get it a lot more than anyone. Like when, you know, Spielberg makes Bridge of Spies, I'm like, I smile and I nod, you know, and I'm just like, that's cute. Uh, this, this, these are the movies that like really get into the nitty gritty, into the really fucked up shit. And it's not sanitized in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's because like Americans see communism as either the other enemy or a novel idea that they could engage right. with. Like, it's, like it's imagine, one of the other- the, imagine the potential of this thing. Let's, let's yeah. look at the, the, the beauty of that, you know, because like, like, there were American experiments with communism, but it was like literally in Minnesota and it was like a governor or something. Right. Or I don't know if you've seen Mank yet, but Mank talks about Mank was basically about fucking We're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about Mank. About what's his what's Sinclair, Louis Sinclair, whatever. Like and, and his muckraking during the depression. That was mm-hmm. our experiment with it. And mm-hmm. it became the new day. and then uh McCarthyism happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we yeah, have yeah. no real experience with living under this type of stuff, the totalitarianism of yeah. the party as everything, as everything. society. Yeah. Right. We have no idea what that's like. And so, yeah, this film does a great job of just exploring 
what it does to a human, what that mm-hmm. corruption is like, mm-hmm. how it filters into everything. Like that becomes your world. His world is listening to this guy who's not a bad person. That is it. But yeah, the party's going to fuck him over anyway because it's all about the party. It's not about anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's um, it's relatable. I mean, it's it's more accessible. I feel like because there's other movies that you can recommend. You know, you can recommend stuff from the '50s, '60s, '70s about this stuff. Uh, but I think having it come out recently, it's a little more accessible to like just average audiences. Like I said, like if this were to play, if this was like a focus features thing that came out today, they would do great, uh, and people would yeah. really get into it and like be affected by it. And so I think uh, I would definitely recommend this to just anyone. To, to watch this movie yeah because like chernobyl came out um and, mm, and that's cool. something that's kind of in the same universe it's like yeah it's it's really you know chernobyl is about the the explosion but it's really about the moral landscape that allowed this to happen yeah and then the reaction to it from society how does a society that's so a one-party state deal with this obvious fuck up yeah but it, the party's flawless the party did nothing wrong that's that's always been the attitude. I haven't seen Chernobyl yet, but um, and the the cool thing, no, not the cool. I mean, I don't know, but like another thing that helps this kind of put it more into perspective is this movie is set in like the eighties, and the eighties were not that long ago. The eighties that yeah. you remember, you know, with the shopping malls and the bubble gum and the fucking rock set and the fucking Tears for Fears is not the eighties that was experienced <laughs> over there. Yeah. Um. So it is. Yeah. Uh, particularly in East and West Berlin has always been a fascinating thing to me because, like, West Berlin is you know Tears for Fears and rock set. East Berlin is I'm gonna fucking listen to you take a shower. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing, and I definitely highly recommend this movie to anyone who's even remotely interested in like a really hard drama about this stuff. Yeah, good stuff. That's a really good film for sure. Yeah, really, really. Um, okay, so my number fifty three is a film called The Battle of Algiers from nineteen sixty six. So this is a film. It's pretty much about the Algeri- Algerian national struggle for uh, liberation from the French colonial rule, and we follow a bunch of different sort of freedom fighters, I guess you could say. And they, you know, just do a whole bunch of different stuff to like, I think, I think the main plot is like, there's this sort of French military guy they're trying to go after Mm -hmm. and they're, you know, they're, they're basically doing different types of uh, subterfuge to try and subvert this guy, but also kind of drive out the French. Uh, There's this crazy scene where they like, they like fucking bomb a disco. Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like it's, it's crazy, dude. It's a really good, but it's like, like they really don't hold back about what, this shit's a, it's it's like there's a scene where there's this girl and they uh they they like dress her up and she's like supposed to look really western or whatever and she's got a fucking bomb in her purse and she like leaves a bomb at the disco and she's bounces I, and they blow up the fucking disco i yeah. i think i may have seen this scene yeah. like uh, an excerpt of it yeah yeah they they're like <laughs> they're like not playing the cutesy you know the way mm-hmm. that americans deal with their revolution where it's like oh yeah, yeah well, we we kicked them out it's like oh we, we also we also fucking tortured them we also fucking killed some people we, we had also, cannonballs <laughs> yeah yeah we we they left for a reason because we yeah. killed them and we killed them and killed them and killed them until they said can't do it anymore mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Also, this film has a really good score by Neil Maricone. Like, one of his best oh. scores. Which is saying a lot. Which is saying yeah. a lot. Because he's got some really, really good scores. Um, yeah, I just feel like this is... this is it, When you talk about international cinema that's classic, this is right there. It's 
And yeah. it's really, you know, it works. Everything, the whole way that they do the conflict works. Um, I really, really like this film. Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot about this film. I haven't seen it yet. It's uh, it's closer to the, I mean, you know, the, the watch list is endless, but it's like closer to the top than some of the other ones because I have seen that scene with the disco and stuff. And uh, yeah, it just seems like just one of the great kind of war movies that I should see. So yeah, really, I think that's a good way to put it. One of the great war movies. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, they, you know, there is, there's a lot of this stuff happening around this time, like these different revolutionary struggle or kind of like liberation stuff. Well, yeah, Africa is just, you know, the sixties and seventies was just a ton of it, a ton of it, a ton of it. And this is like kind of, kind of a stand in for a lot of those different, a lot of different stuff that happened. Cause there's not, you know, there's not like a film for every country. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But this kind of locks onto like what was happening at the time in all these places. That's crazy. Like, I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Oh, I think I lost with... Lucian here. Oh, no. Did we? Okay. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, you're back. Okay, I'm on my laptop now. Oh, man. My, uh, I, I guess Comcast was um, unhappy, so they just cut me off or something. Yeah, I think they just they heard us talking about um, the Stasi, and they were like, no, 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 no. They were listening. They were. <laughs> it's the, the art imitates reality. So I'm on my laptop now. Um, yeah, so we were talking about uh, the Battle of Algiers. I correct. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I've I've said you know basically what there is to say about it. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I I think it's definitely talked about as like one of the better films of international. Pretty much. Abs- absolutely, I've definitely heard similar kind of sentiments about it. Yeah. 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 So that's that's my number fifty three. Fifty three. Okay. It's the Battle of. Algiers. Cool. Well, okay. My number fifty three is. Against all odds, the Neon Demon. Oh yeah, uh, no, not against all odds. Uh, the Neon Demon. Uh, oh, yeah. I say against all odds because uh, he's got a lot of better movies. There's a lot better movies like there's Suspiria, and there's a lot of better movies that are are kind of doing this thing. But I like the Neon Demon because, god damn it, it is so. It's it's basically like parts of it are like full length, you know, like uh, fashion commercials, like full length fucking. Dolce and Gabbana commercials or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's got this like dreamlike quality that I really like that a lot of uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's movies have. It's not uh, only God Forgives, which is just incomprehensible, you know, and like impenetrable. Uh, it does have a story. Um, but this movie, I've, I've seen it again. I, uh, this is the movie I was talking about at the beginning is that I saw it when it came out. It came out on my birthday a couple of years ago. I got it on Blu-ray. I watched it. It was, I loved it. There was a 4k Blu-ray of it. I tracked that down. I watched that. And first mm. of all, the visuals are incredible in this movie. I mean, the, they are the stuff that he does with the, with the, again, with the neon stuff, uh, and, uh, some of the fashion kind of like the modeling sequences and, and all this yeah. stuff is great. There's a scene where uh, this dude is like putting, um, like it's like a white they're in, they're in like a photo space and everything's white and blown out and he's putting like all this gold shit on her and it's really really cool so it's got that oh but the things that i like about this movie are the idiosyncratic little things like the motel scene where there's like a wolf in her mm-hmm. room or whatever and like uh keanu reeves shows up yeah, it's and a mountain like, lion <laughs> it's a mountain oh, or a mountain lion whatever yeah it's a mountain yeah, yeah. Lion in her bed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and keanu reeves shows up and he like shoves a newspaper in someone's mouth and you know like so, 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 stuff like that um and then ultimately, 
the stuff that really sold me on it is when I saw it on the second time around and I saw how much more extreme the European cut of it is. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's like that's what this movie needed. <laughs> uh, the scene in the morgue with with Jenna Malone and, and that one naked body uh, that goes on for a little bit longer in the European scene. Uh, and it's a little more intense. And um, just everything that happens in the third act of this movie is so kind of uncalled for and so batshit crazy that this is why I love this movie so much. And that's why I made my list. I love drive on paper. I should love drive more because it's about gangsters, you know, and it's got, it's like a gritty crime thing. It just happens to have, you know, synth wave and neon colors and stuff. This, uh, I like neon demon a little bit more because it goes a little farther uh, not necessarily with the violence, although it is very violent, but with some of the like psychosexual stuff, which, you know, I'm very much into. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a really sleazy black swan, like like a 10 it times. It is approaching similar thematics. It, it, I mean, some of it. Yeah, it's just like it's it's significantly more sleazy and uh, more extreme. Um, and, you know, he's he's done some extreme cinema stuff before. Uh, like that scene in Drive where like what's her face gets her brains blown out was like a big deal for a lot of people. They had like they kind they really hadn't quite seen that like European insanity in the in the kind of like yeah. I saw this I saw this comment on like YouTube that I that really made me laugh. Honestly, uh, mm. this person said based on that scene they said uh, Nicholas Wending Refn shoots violence the way Quentin Tarantino wish he did. Oh, and I thought that one. was like. I don't know. I, I didn't agree with that, but I thought that was like that was like a, a cinema nerd's kind of take on the a way take. he depicts violence. Yeah. Oh, it's a take. It's a take. It's definitely a take. <laughs> That's yeah. what that was. <laughs> but I thought it was it because yeah. like it, it like he does do this violence in a very particular way. Yeah. Sure. I love the and but but like visually, I think this movie is just the most uh, interesting for me. Like, there's a lot of cool like when um, after they push her, I'm not going to spoil too much, but like after she she drops, she gets pushed in the pool, and like you see her, she's like laying there with her like legs broken and shit. And then the 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 cut after that is just Jenna Malone in a bathtub, just drenched in blood, and you know she's just like <laughs> she's just like feeling herself for a minute. Like that's the shit I live for. That's the cinema I live for. <laughs> it's there, just, like you know. There's there's not a lot of horror films that really I mean like the number is pretty small actually in history mm-hmm. but there's a moment in this movie cuz like the theme of this movie is basically uh the main character and she's what was her name I forget her name um uh Elle Fanning Yeah Elle Fanning so she's the I guess I don't know older sister of She's the a younger sister. She's, she's a younger, a younger. Sister. yeah. But she's like super tall and she's she's very like model-esque. Very so like model-esque, she's yeah. she's come to LA to do the LA thing, you know, be a model, be an actor, be a star, blah, blah, blah. Um, the thing about it though, is like, she had like, this film basically says she has it, this thing, this, this star mm-hmm. quality that cannot be quantified. Yeah. And that it changes makes... her a bit, but it also, it's, it puts her in danger because everyone yeah. is seeking it out. Yeah. It makes, and there's a moment. Sieve. Yeah. It, and there's a moment where these other characters, they come to try and take it from her. And it's like this, oaf, you're dead. You're yeah. fucking dead because like, like if you, it, it, and that's the thing too, that kind of like really works for me for this film. It's like, if you told some, some people that this person has this thing and if you can take it from them through physical violence, they would do it. Absolutely. Especially in LA. Like I think this setting this in LA as opposed to like Chicago or New York is, is, is a very, it's a specific choice because the people out here are the types of people who would do that. Absolutely. And, um, that's because they're people the, like her, but they become jaded because they don't 
it doesn't work out or something happens or they end up, you know, exactly banging some guy who they think they're going to get, you know, they're going to get a job from, but it doesn't work out. He's a fucking liar. He's a scumbag. Yeah. And then, then you're just mad. And then you're like, why is this? What does she have that I don't have? Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, well, I'll just take it. I'll kill him and take it. Um, yeah. And I thought that really worked. In the- yeah. Cause I mean the whole thing, I would say it, it's a little, it's a little bit of a slow kind of descent type of thing. Similar to like we were just talking about Agent Heart, except that the movie starts at like a heightened reality and it just kind of maintains it. Um, so by the time we get to the stuff at the end where it just like goes completely off the rails, you're like shocked, but not like too shocked. But it is yeah. um, and you could argue it's a little on the nose with the whole like if we can't have your thing, we'll just eat it kind of a thing. But uh, I don't know. It's it works for me. And I just think it's not it's not as like um, intellectual. I want to say as like a, as like a black swan. It's not as like concerned with the nitty gritty of the stuff. It's just a lot more bombastic and in your face. And I, I appreciate that uh, a lot more. And I just appreciate just that he goes there. He, he goes for it. And again, in that unrated cut, I, I saw things I didn't think I would see in this movie. So uh, it's really cool. And I like extreme movies and this is like it's it's a really interesting marriage of like really pop visuals with really fucked up shit (laughs) so yeah yeah a lot of those dream sequences like like there's was it like a trapezoid or some kind of like shapes yeah but it's so beautiful the way they shot it it's It's really beautiful and it's like strobing the whole time and yeah yeah um i really like his style his his aesthetic style it's Mm -hmm. very um very very it's very strong, you know? Yeah. It's like, it really affects you and you're like kind of overwhelmed by it. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, but then it's like mixing it with the, you know, the crazy well, he gets, well, he sexual go- stuff. It's great. Yeah, he gets into the extreme stuff. Like he's always done it. Like that mm-hmm. Valhalla Rising is one of those movies that is just like, oh, he, he goes there, you know? Yeah. Um, even it's Bronson. It's like no words. It's just, it's just violence and murder. It's just, and- exactly. And I love that shit, you know? Uh, but for whatever reason, like Neon Demon, again, being an L.A. movie, being the the pretty visuals with the pretty girls and then all of them get like mutilated. It's great. Yeah. It's what I it's what I need. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I like that film, too. Um, I, I probably like Drive is my favorite of his films, I'd say. Um, Drive is definitely I just, his, probably the best, I would say, too. Yeah, I just I do appreciate that he you know, before we we're talking about he did he did a they 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 gave him money to do a miniseries. Yeah, uh, too old to die young, which is mm-hmm. like like six hour version of just his stuff, pretty much. Yeah, that's I, I still have it, to watch that. It's so crazy because it it that that thing it is it is basically you know half of it is yeah it's because <laughs> it's almost like he's doing the the setup of of like uh um of like Breaking Bad you know there's like the drug cartels but there's mm. also like these noir characters and mm. there's all the like the synthy beautiful stuff but then. Mm-hmm. He just goes. He goes. Wep- Refin too. Yeah, right. And it, the movie is also the the miniseries is also it's all it's very kind of like anti TV, you know, mm-hmm. like TV. You have to like, oh, you have to do this in the pilot, and you have to like end with a teaser. He's like, fuck yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> cool, dude. I yeah, so, I really yeah. gotta watch that. Yeah, it's some good stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think we both Nicholas Winding Refn. He's he's got I, yeah, absolutely he's got a cool style. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. And I just like that he he gets extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my number 52 is The Grapes of Wrath by John Ford. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of, uh, this is based on, I believe, a Steinbeck novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like one of the great American sort of depictions of, 
poverty during the um, during the the Dust Bowl and the Dust Great Depression. Bowl era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there's some uh, as as they say, Okies from Muskogee who uh, lives in Oklahoma, and then they all got kicked off their <laughs> farm and moved yeah. out to good old California, uh, Bakersfield. That's where California. That's where these guys live now. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's some strong feelings about the Okies, certain segments of the California <laughs> oh, population. But yeah, that's a whole other thing. Anyway, but this is like this is like one of those just like beautiful stories about people dealing with like when the world goes bad, you know, and like what do you have? It's just family. That's all they have is their family, and you get a great performance from uh, what's his name? Um, Harry Henry, Fonda. Henry Fonda. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, in this. yeah he's yeah. really really good. And like you know. I, yeah, it's just it's just so beautiful. He has a speech at the end that's just like really, really, really strong and very yeah. kind of you know like, like again we've been talking about the um, the sort of it's a wonder it's a wonderful life and Mr. Smith goes to watch that kind yep. of take on the yep. Americana mm-hmm. and this is well within that vein mm-hmm. of like the hopeful optimism beyond despite the fact that you know America was in one of the basically the darkest economic times mm-hmm. that it's ever been through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I really really appreciate this movie. It just it it goes there, but it's still uplifting. Yeah, it and, does. I was gonna yeah. say it doesn't like it doesn't pussyfoot around the hardships too much. Like no. it, it definitely shows you like the 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 depressing side of it. Um, but you know, it is it is a peak Hollywood machine era movie, so it does have that mm-hmm. like optimism that it just cannot escape and it can't go too far with too many things. But um, it's a John Ford movie, so it's awesome. And that's all I really have to say. Uh, it's got all the John Ford isms. It's got like the characters. Yeah. You've got like the drunken shit and you've got all these wacky, you know, stereotypes. And so, you know, it's just, it's a classic. Yeah. The main character, like he's really doesn't really, you know, it's not like at the end he's in a much better place. Like I, I, I forget yeah. exactly what happens, but like at the end, so basically he was, he, he, he came home after going to jail. They go to California and then they basically kind of run into more, you know, cops or people that kind of fuck yeah. with them. And then mm-hmm. he has to, he has to like, I don't know if he kills a dude or he like beats the shit out of a dude or something like that to protect his family. I think something like that. Him. Yeah. Yeah. He beats a guy up and he's like, I got to go, but you know, I'll, I don't know. There's, I forget exactly what it was about, but he like gives this, he gives a really good speech. He gives a really good yeah. speech and he's like, I'll always be there for you or whatever. You know, <laughs> you, they, to, to, to send it off in that true, like American, like, yeah, yeah. We will persevere. Keep- to give you the upbeat feeling, despite the fact that this guy is not going to live a good life, like no. if we ever followed him after this ending, this is like yeah. the high point in, in his life afterward. Mm. But this film, yeah, this film, you know, is is the height of what the the American sort of machine could do with cinema. Mm-hmm. Get this great director, great actors, yeah, a strong source material. Um, and the bit players are really good. The bit players in John Ford movies are always really good. They're always really yeah. Fucking, yeah. They're it's always really really good. good. Like the mom, the mom, she's yeah. a bit player in so many movies. She's mm-hmm. really good in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and John Ford, like John Ford, there's so many things that he kind of invented um, stylistically that yeah. kind of people don't think a lot about. He does a lot of good stuff with like the contrasting, basically what would become noir. Yeah. And it's in this film. It's in Stagecoach. Um, really uh, big, like wide open spaces, shooting wide open spaces, and kind of getting those mm-hmm. establishing shots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of really good stuff that he does here, uh, cinematically and directing that mm-hmm. we just kind of take for granted because like it's it's 
style, it's default there. style. Yeah. yeah. But um yeah, I mean I mean film noir comes from like this film and some other films. Like they take like moments like, yeah, I really like that shot when he like lights the candle and you yeah. sort of see his face. And then they make a whole genre out of that, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite genres for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, there's like like the again like there's a moment in Stagecoach where like there's the woman and we see her in the doorway and it's like a silhouette. That's half of the the reason why why um, Orson Welles shot half the films the way he did. Yeah, <laughs> because of that one shot. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. Cool. That was your number fifty-two. Yeah, that was my number fifty-two. Was uh, the Grapes of Wrath. Awesome. Yeah, my number 52 is a movie. I mean, I, I love all these movies, but I just love this movie dearly. A uh, movie from 1973 called Breezy, uh, okay. directed by Clint Eastwood. Who else? Uh, this is his second feature, I believe. It was a second feature and the only movie that he didn't star in for like a long time that he didn't direct. Um, and it's a very, very cool. It's a very interesting movie. It's a lot of people say it's his best movie, uh, certainly of the time, but it's okay. So it's early seventies. It's, it's very much, it's, it, it's, it's shot in the, like a new Hollywood kind of a way. Uh, and it's about basically breezy is, and it's a, you know, it's a age old tale. Breezy is like a hippie free spirit, kind of attractive young girl who's just kind of out there floating in the wind and whatever. And William Holden is the hardcore like establishment drunk divorced, you know, the establishment has kind of done him wrong. And William Holden in this movie, you know, middle-aged older William Holden is so great in this movie. Watch this movie. If only just to watch his performance, because it it is, you know, at this point it's the early seventies. We're not doing the air. See, we're not doing that anymore. Um, so it's a, it's a more of a subdued performance from him. And, uh, again, he's got a lot of baggage. He's, he's lived his life and then breezy comes along. She's like this, you know, 18 year old, whatever, you know, kind of floating in the wind. And, um, basically long story short is she's kind of like a vagrant and she's just kind of like loitering and sleeping wherever. And, uh, she ends up sleeping on his front porch and he tells her to fuck off and she does. And then she gets in trouble with the cops And uh, when the cops pick her up, you know, she doesn't have like a home or anything. So she says, oh, I'm staying with my uncle over here. And, you know, so she gives him the address of William Holden's place. And so he plays along when the cops show up because he feels bad for the girl. And uh, so the whole movie basically is just these two kind of playing off each other. Like, again, the it's the early 70s. So you've got like the counterculture chick who is like teaching an old dog new tricks kind of a thing. It's got that that uh, that dynamic to it obviously they sleep together and like that becomes a thing. Uh, and it's again, very seventies. We, we see Bush and everything. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's, that's why I like it. It's a very atypical, uh, movie from Clint Eastwood. You get a yeah. sense that he was just trying to do what everybody else was doing at the time. You know, mm-hmm. he was, he was, he was not making like, because his first movie play Misty for me is not, it's like a, it's like a thriller. It's like a, uh, it's not at all an action movie or like it doesn't play off his machismo at all or anything. It's just about like a psychopath who's like stalks him or whatever. And so this second movie is like just kind of for the times, kind of like a folk uh, opera kind of a thing, you know, Mm -hmm. again, it's just the, the William Holden guy is really kind of set in his ways and divorced and whatever. And then breezy is like the spirit that she floats into his life. They share a moment. And then ultimately they have to break apart at the end of the movie. Um, 
because he just can't commit to her because it just doesn't like his his peers, you know, are not taking him seriously. Everyone's making everyone's kind of like looking down on him. Like, why are you fraternizing with the these hippie scum? You know, these these counterculture idiots like we're all, we're going to stamp them out and they're going to go away kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and he's developing feelings for her. But ultimately, he makes the choice. He He's it's that classic noir character flaw. He's like unable to break out of these old patterns that he's been living in forever. So it's a really beautiful film, honestly. And I think uh, it, it's not very well like known or talked about and uh, i remember the first time i saw it i like immediately went to go see it again because mm-hmm. i thought it was such a it's really well shot it's like a, it's like a you know full kind of um full, full frame like aspect ratio um it's a really gorgeous i think universal owns the movie so they, there's a really gorgeous like transfer of it on blu-ray uh only in europe not in the states mm-hmm. go figure there, this yeah. movie does not exist on Blu-ray in the States, only in Europe, so I had to import it. But um, yeah, it's just like a really atypical movie. Like you wouldn't think Clint Eastwood directed this thing. He's not in it at all. Um, but it is shot in and around Carmel, I believe. So you get to oh, see nice. Monterey and Carmel. So you get to see, he, he shot a lot of his early movies there. So you get to see a lot of beautiful, like, it's just kind of like a mood movie. And uh, mm-hmm. I really dig it. And I like the whole idea of like, here's like this new thing that's coming that's about to just like, it's going to change the way of life for all of these old dinosaurs, but like they get to find some kind of common ground for a while. And uh, it's a cool movie. I like it. Yeah. That's cool stuff. I, I, I like the idea of him doing like the, the new Hollywood, the, you know, yeah, that kind of said the easy rider, <laughs> you know, yeah, a little like, bit, a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. like the William Holden is like the stand in for, for him and his generation. That's exactly um, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. William and, Holden again, doing a really, really like um serious, like a, a heavy emotional type of performance mm. in this movie. Like he's very heavy. Like his presence is felt uh, and it's really cool. He's a great actor. Um, God, he really he's so is. good. Yeah. Uh, and you know, yeah, the late stuff that he did was great. You know, um, wild bunch. Uh, right. He was in network. Mm-hmm, uh, he's mm-hmm. in all these movies that are just like um, pretty good, pretty good performances. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. Pretty much, yeah. I'm just, I'm glad I got to talk about Breezy. Hopefully, some people will check it out because uh, I really liked it. It really, like, for whatever reason, like, it moved me when I saw it the first time. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think it'll probably, maybe once Clint Eastwood dies or something, you know, and people start digging through his filmography, they'll pick this one out and be like, oh, he did other movies that are not Westerns? Oh, yeah, you know, because, yeah. like, there's, there's that subset of people who will just, like, they don't really know, like this man's directed 36 fucking movies. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way you'll know all of them. But, well, uh, like, you know, they, like, you know, the cop dramas or like the cop, the cop dramas or the uh mm-hmm. the old the, the the grandpa you know goes out on one last job kind of movie you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah grandpa this is gets different. gets gets you know he has to go across the border or whatever you know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah in, in, a, like, in a always... weird way <laughs> Yeah. In a weird way, like parts of this come back in Gran Torino, you know, with like the grandpa has to like spend time with these young 20 somethings, you know. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely like this movie a lot. Cool. Breezy. Mm-hmm. All right. So my number 51, the last one for today is The 51? Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Um, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So this is. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of hard to place like where I feel about all of them. They all have really, really strong parts. They and do. they're all to me like even I feel like breaking them apart is kind of kind of wrong in a way. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like I can see that because they're all one singular story. 
and they just sort of like there's different phases. But I think this film is still very, very, very um the yeah. Helm's Deep stuff in and of itself That's, is like yeah. one of the best, you know, action set piece scenes ever. Like in and of itself, just that sequence is amazing. Um yeah, this film deals with so uh Frodo is like off on his own with Sam and he's really feeling the weight of the burden of having to have the ring. And he, there's this interesting relationship between him and Gollum because he can empathize with Gollum. Like Gollum is like, yeah, I know Gollum is what I'll become if this thing takes over me. Mm-hmm. And so if he has no humanity, I have no humanity. And, but Sam's like, no, nah. even I, I believe, I don't know if it's this one or the next one, but he says like, you don't understand. He's a villain, Mr. Frodo. I love that <laughs> line. Where it's like, like, you don't get it. dude. This dude is a crackhead. Yeah. 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 He's he, he wants the crack. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to steal your car. It doesn't matter. He, he wants it. Yep. He's going to sell your <laughs> CD collection. Yeah. I just, I love that, that whole, the, the, like how the two hate each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, so like basically the trio of Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli are trying to save uh, the two other hobbits. I mean, while just basically just going around killing people. Yeah. Um, and so then they get, get sucked into this, uh, this, the stuff with the the Rohan tribe of, of mm-hmm. humans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just like, you know, like these films are unbelievable. Like they're really, yeah. the scale, yeah, yeah, the spectacle, yeah. all the stuff they did, the way they shot it, the way they use practical effects, the way they use special effects. It's just, there's so many like scenes that in and of themselves would be incredible. Like the stuff yeah. when they, when Frodo and Sam get kind of sucked into Gundor and they, they meet, um, what's his name's brother? Um, and yeah, there's a million characters. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So, like, there's the brother of um, of, of Sean Bean's character. Mm, okay, and yeah. the oh, brother, yeah. The, yeah, the brother is kind of like, so their dad is crazy. But he's crazy, but he loves Sean Bean. But he hates the younger brother because he thinks that he sucks. And so he's always, so the younger brother's always trying to live up to his, his brother and, like, kind of prove, hey, you know, dad, I'm not a loser. And so he, he like, thinks he's going to do that by taking the ring and there's this whole kind of thing. And then they're like, you know, your brother who you thought was perfect uh, actually turned evil because of the ring. Just going to do the same to you. This is not going to work out the way you think it will. And there's all that, like all those scenes are really good because it gets really character stuff, you know? And it's like, you're right. Very desperate. Very like those scenes are very desperate. It's just like human beings being killed by beasts and monsters and, we see the the Nazgul and they ride on these like massive wraith things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we just see them murder a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. Like, they just fly around murdering people, like screeching and murdering and killing people. And it's like, whoa, this is bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is the, you know, the middle film was always interesting in these trilogies because it doesn't have to like, you know, resolve it anything. It doesn't resolve anything. And it doesn't have that like uh, immediate wonder of like setting up the world kind of a thing. Yeah. It just dives us deeper, you know. Again, mm-hmm. we get to see the Nazgul, we get to see yeah. these Ent characters. Um, the Urukai army comes out, and you know, again, that's an amazing scene. We get to that's see the people in Rohan. Really cool scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, these films are just so amazing. Yeah. They're just so amazing what they were able to accomplish. You, uh, you and, did and it's, it's Sorry, a gargantuan task because, like, these books were just fucking sprawling, sprawling, and they have to like create a a narrative with characters that we connect with in these films yeah. <laughs> and not just like get us stuck in the trees of what the the big stuff is yeah, so, yeah that's that's why i like it's, this film it still makes my brain hurt that 
these things got made and like in particular the first Harry Potter movie the first two Harry Potter movies got made like it, it, it boggles the mind how but like Lord of the Rings more so because of like the sheer scale and the photography of it like I don't understand how it's possible to like logistically set all this stuff up and make sure that you're getting it right all the all along the way but you did a good job of uh, upselling the two towers because a lot of people like to shit on it I personally I've only ever seen it once I think like in 2002 so like I really I remember really not caring for it when I saw it and that was obviously like a lifetime ago so I got to rewatch I'm going to rewatch all of them eventually but um I remember really not caring for that one cuz I think you're right like it doesn't have the like ah we're we're getting I know I know yeah, like, it doesn't have the, like we're we're getting to meet out. these characters it doesn't have that whole fun thing like we're going to go on an adventure and it doesn't have the like epic kind of finale uh like the stakes that get resolved in the third movie uh, but the battle scenes in this, I remember being like uh, kind of because like you said, like splitting them up is kind of weird because if you take this movie, if you put it next to the other two, you can say, yeah, probably you can make an argument. Yes, it's the weakest. But if you take it out by itself and you put it up against any other movie, it's like still unfuckwithable. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's that's that kind of like that makes sense to me. I mean, you, it's really, really hard to fall. It's not like um, episode two attack of the clones. You take that out of the series and it's still just unwatchable drivel dog shit because of the CGI and because of everything. Like it just does not hold up. Yeah. He went full Lucas on it. And it's just, it's just green. It's just, it's just green. green. It's just icky. It just doesn't (laughs) green and blue. That's the movie. I don't care if it ruffles feathers, but like definitely two towers is yeah. Solid point. I mean, yeah, I I think this whole um, movie series is just amazing. It's, I can see why people would sort of not like it. Cause I remember like, you know, at the end, once we got to the third movie, people kind of, I remember someone saying like, Oh, well I, I don't like, I, I literally remember in the theater, someone saying, well, like what am I, how am I supposed to feel about this movie? I, I can't clap at the end. And basically oh. they were saying like, they felt like there wasn't a resolution, you know? Oh, okay. Sure. 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 Yeah. Which is, it was kind of weird, but, but someone literally said that in the theater when I saw this, you know, 20 interesting. Or whatever. Wow. Um, yeah. That's what the polis has to say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, um but yeah you know you you when you're in this like massive like this is a massive epic right these are all three hour movies the theatrical cut the 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 extended is even longer and we're just in this world for a long 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 time yeah for a long time and we're just like you know i could see how some people are like okay i want to this is cool or if they're not sold on it that's mm-hmm. the other thing too like that's what I think they do so well is like, if you're sold on, you like the premise, you like the world, you're going to get a lot. You're going to get a lot of stuff and they build it feast. big time. Yeah. 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 Cause we just get more of these like characters, um, especially like the side characters and like the side villains, even mm-hmm. like we get a lot about these side villains, <laughs> not even the yeah. main villain, like these, these random, the, the, the witch King who's like um, the head of these, these, people flying specters or whatever mm-hmm. that's a character it's a it's a freak and that's a villain um so yeah they spend a lot of time on a lot of stuff that's a lot of world building yeah 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 that's a good point because like honestly personally i'm i'm not big into middle earth i i really i just don't care it's not an interesting world to me uh which is you know sounds probably insane but like Maybe that's what it was because the first movie at the very least has that like excitement of like we're 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 going to go on an adventure. There's a big bad guy and there's like a ring or some shit. And like, I don't know, like we'll figure it out. You know, like there's a kind of that like that spirit of it. 
uh, like, if we take one step further, we'll be the farthest away we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting. And then the second movie just like gives you more of the world. And maybe that's why like I personally didn't care for it. Because uh, I was more into, but like you said, like it's it kind of has everything. Like it's got character stuff. It's got world building. It's got battles. And at the end of the day, as a movie production, it's again, it's like it's you can't really fault it for anything. It's godlike, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I it's can't like, say shit. It's it's a fucking great movie, yeah. And I think in comparison to the first one, like I think out of all the films, like they do a lot of really like again in this, the Battle of Helm's Deep, some of the best spectacle ever. The, yeah, in the ever. third movie, that that final battle is it's fucking incredible. Like when the yeah. when the uh, Rohan mm-hmm. tribe comes and they have to attack these yeah. goblins and then and yeah. the fucking people and the elephants come. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. It's but um, I think the thing about the first one is so grounded in this group of people, right? That's correct. It's the fellowship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I really feel like the in all the movies, one of the most effective scenes is just them in the minds of Moria when they have to fight those, those, those people and the troll and all that shit. The troll, yeah, yeah. Because there's something you know, almost kind of like your D and D groupish, you know, in it. It's like, yeah, like your party. It's your party. It feels like <laughs> that's my party. And now yeah. I'm in this, this battle. Gandalf's the got the really fucking crazy. wizard powers and he's yeah. going to smite his stick down. Cause everyone has their thing. Like Legolas yeah. has the bow and arrow. Yep. Um, uh, Frodo's the Frodo has sting. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's his name? Sam has, he stops using a, a sword and he uses a freaking pan. He hits mm-hmm. people in the head with a pan. Um, Gimli has an axe and it's just, yeah. you know, that there's something about that, that, that feels like people can connect with, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. I yeah. can connect with a, a, a group of like 11 people fighting these trolls, giant beasts, whatever, insurmountable odds. Like you're, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've always felt like that, that scene is so, and all the way up to the bridge of Casa Doom when the, when he, you know, the, you shall not pass. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff I think is the part that connects the most people yeah on, a, on an right. emotional level because mm-hmm. it's just it's it's just so human yeah it's so human it takes the it takes the world and it makes it relatable yeah this film is like it's some big spectacle stuff yeah and i think that's why the movies work because like again those books are dense and then he wrote like an entire other thing that like just informs more of it so like they are very dense and you have to find a way, especially for something that this mass market to hook in the lay people or the mm-hmm. people like myself that just like just couldn't be fucked to learn about the names of all these things. Yeah. But yeah. to to kind of create a relatable conflict or at least make interesting characters, that's a huge task. That's a massive task. That's I can't even again, I just can't even begin to fathom what like the to the the whole approach to this thing, like to to get it to kind of follow it all the way through is, is a miracle. So yeah. it is, it is, it, it's really amazing too. And what's kind of funny, like I've been, you know, again, since they've released the new version on 4k, yeah, uh, a lot of people <laughs> have been sort of talking about the process and all this stuff. And like, there was a lot of stuff they were doing on the fly. It's kind of crazy how much like, like the whole, like the speech that uh, Sean Bean gives in the first movie about like, you can't, you know, you can't just you can't just walk into Mordor. You can't just walk into Mordor. Made that up on the one. Day. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Yeah. I think one does not simply walk into yeah. Mordor. Yeah, and like it's funny because they said like whenever he looked down, he was looking down in his lines. <laughs> <laughs> he did these dramatic pauses, like that's him looking at his line when he does that. <laughs> and then you notice they cut away a lot. They cut away from him a lot. Oh, and I'm then sure, when he yeah. says that, yeah, and so it's it's really funny 
Um, I was even seeing they they had shot this scene. They shot it. They shot a scene where in the third movie where Aragorn fights uh, Sa- Sauron, like the Dark Lord comes out in physical form. First, you see him as an angel. Oh, yeah. Then, I read about this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he comes out and then they're fighting and he's like gigantic. Cut yeah. the whole thing. But they, they try to. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's also so the other thing, too, that they do that's really, I think, effective. They don't get too inside baseball on it. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of, and that's I think why that scene didn't work. It's just too inside baseball. Mm-hmm. Because people who watch, they don't care about all the behind the scenes stuff. All mm-hmm. we know is there's a wizard, there's yeah. a ring, there's some people they're trying to destroy it, and he's evil, and he has all these these orcs. Correct. The, just, yeah, my they, my point exactly. Yeah, because when you get into the weeds, you understand that these guys, like Gandalf, is an angel, and so was Sauron and Saruman, and but then they turned evil. But, like, we don't get any of that in these movies, which is good because that is way too much for us mm-hmm. because it brings in things that are like, wait, he's an angel, not just like a dude. So how do angels work can't die in this world? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we don't have to think about that. Yeah. We don't have to think about that. And again, that's part of this movie, right? He comes back as Gandalf the White and we're just like, they do, they do this. That's, that's actually, <laughs> right? Like, that's super hard to do. Bring back your character where... <laughs> one of the most dramatic parts of the first movie is this dude dies. Yeah. And then the, the movie basically says, oh, by the way, he fought the demon Belrog thing in a standoff. He killed it. And then he just came back to life. And now he's, he's back, back, baby. <laughs> and we're like, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they do that without without getting into any of the like the angels and the God mm-hmm. and all this mm-hmm. They're just like I, they 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 do they actually do a really good job. It's like oh yeah, I saw the light and basically says I saw God and God told me not to that my purpose was not over. Mm-hmm. But they don't go there because like that's a little too deep for what's going to make us question about the movie. Yeah, we just don't need it at that point. Yeah, yeah, we just know he's a wizard. Yeah, right. He's a wizard, right. so wizards can come back from the dead or whatever or stuff mm-hmm. like that. He's he's not bound by the same laws as human beings. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of continue on with the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, so, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's, I think that basically covers it. I, I love all these films. I think they're all really good. Uh, this yeah. one, you know, I guess you could say the worst of the three, but I, I think that they're all really strong. I think it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think, uh, maybe, and maybe the public, like the opinion is softened on that, but like, I, I really don't think it matters because if you watch it all together as like a, an entire thing, then like, it, it's it's you you can't just say that you know the mi- i don't like the middle part or like that one's it, it's the bad one because it's all a base level of quality <laughs> and achievement That's so high yeah yeah so, it's so high it's like higher than any like almost, yeah it's like so many films it's, it's, it's gargantuan so mm-hmm. it's crazy yeah so like like again with the star wars i can point to the second star wars movie and say like truly that is the bad one but like this this is you know yeah yeah all right cool yeah so what's your number 51 my number 51 oh baby yeah let's let's take it let's take it back to the nc-17 this is a hard nc-17 like the hardest they've ever had to fucking pass this is abel ferrara's bad lieutenant uh with uh harvey keitel uh co-written with zoe lund who zoe lund if, if, if in its in herself is such a character you should read about zoe lund because she made a couple movies but she was like a 
I, she was some kind of artist, you know, based out of New York. Uh, she died very young, very tragically. Uh, she's in this movie, and she basically exists in this movie just to, like, feed Harvey Keitel drugs. They're freebasing cocaine. They're shooting up heroin. Uh, have you seen Bad Lieutenant? I think I've only seen parts of the, the other one. The one. The with, other uh, one? Nicholas Cage. Unrelated. Unrelated. They're not even – it's not a series. They're not the, – it's not the same thing. It's not even related at all. Uh, it's related in that there is a lieutenant that does bad things. This movie is fucking insane. This movie is like the hardest NC-17 I've ever seen. There's a scene in this movie. There's an extended scene in this movie where Harvey Cartel, Harvey Car- whatever, Harvey Keitel pulls over two teenage girls and because he's a cop and he 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 acts like a real piece of shit to them. He's like, oh, you, what are you doing out here? You've been drinking? They're like, no, 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 we're sorry. Like, we're just, we don't, do you have your license? Uh, you want to call your father? We're going to call your father. And they're like, no, please don't call our father. He's like, all right, all right. And then he finesses them into basically, he gets one of the girls to like show him her ass, the other one to make like blowjob shapes with her mouth while he like jerks off and says like, oh yeah, you fucking, you ever suck a guy's cock? Yeah, you do it. So like, this is the dirtiest movie. Like, by far the dirtiest like the there's a so the premise of the movie is a nun gets gang raped <laughs> and so there's and it's and it's 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 all there and so like this nun gets gang raped in the church by like four dudes and then oh harvey Keitel, yeah 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 and harvey Keitel is the guy who gets assigned to the case and harvey Keitel is out here pulling over teenagers and jerking off in front of them and freebasing <laughs> cocaine with 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 other women he's there's a there's a threesome in this movie that he has where he just like there's this great scene where he like operatically poses with his cock out it's it's incredible <laughs> this this movie i can't i can't put into words how batshit crazy this movie is <laughs> And it is by far the, the 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 farthest out there that Harvey Keitel's ever gone. He went through a phase in the early '90s where he was like showing his dick a lot. Mm. I think his dick is in the piano as well. But uh, <laughs> don't ask me why I know this. But um, it's basically about the most debased, dirty a human being could possibly get. Yeah, is is what this movie's about. And the 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 angle with the nun is that after this nun has all this horrible shit happen to her. She is unshaken. She is, and she's, they cast her to be hot. Basically. Like it feels kind of weird, but like that they, they, she's a nun, but she's also like the, by far the most attractive nun in the whole movie. So like they cast her to be like, she kind of doesn't fit in the role at all. But uh, even after all this horrible shit happens to her, um, she is even more 110 like convinced that like it's all part of God's plan and like is you know she she continues to pray and whatever and so she is the kind of uh, object of like this spirituality that is like unshakable and then Harvey Keitel being assigned this case who basically all he does it's like um it's like uh, Uncut Gems tried to do a little bit of this where like you've got the guy out there running nonstop collecting bets and you know put in doing all this crazy shit it's like Harvey Keitel's doing that but like you know a lot worse shit in this movie. And so basically it's about kind of like, is this man redeemable at all? Just in any way, shape or form. And so he kind of like, he kind of starts to question some of the, um, some of the stuff that he does by getting in contact with this nun who has had like this, the, the most horrendous thing. And again, they show it in this movie, just mm-hmm. the most intense, horrendous thing happened to her. And she's unshaken in her beliefs. And he is all he can think of is like, 
how do I score, you know, the next bag of H and I'm going to murder these motherfuckers for what they did. Right. Like he's not, he, he is not going to bring these guys in. Yeah. He's not, he's, he's going to, he's the type of guy who's going to find them, kill them and then take the, steal the drugs off of them, you know, and then like hide the evidence and then go, go to his like girlfriend and, and, and free base. Yeah. So that's the kind of guy that he is. I highly recommend this movie. If you're into like, just seeing the, how debased um, uh, a, a movie like this can can mm-hmm. can get. I mean, it's how far someone can go. Yeah, it's done in the style. I mean, it's an early. It's 1992, I believe. So it's in that style of like um, Reservoir Dogs or like yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. got you know it's in that era. Um, but it's by far the most extreme of any of these of the mo- crime movies that were made at the time. Uh, and again, and he was I, into producing this stuff too. Cartel, he was just like Cartel. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was all about it. No, but, about it, yeah, well, yeah. Well, Abel Ferrara, we were talking about a uh, King of New York. I mean, that's the kind of shit that he makes. Uh, th- this is just that this is a lot in a lot of people's opinion. Like his magnum opus is this movie. Uh, <laughs> so you know, again, like uh, right <laughs> coming in right uh, right around the top fifty here. This is now we're starting to get into the stuff that really really tickles me, which is just the yeah. most depraved things. Yeah. But like, t- but like, not necessarily because it's it's not like the movie is not a hundred percent. It's not all about like, what, how can we shock the viewer? What can we do to make it as this, you know, gross as possible? It's just, it's all part of the character. It's all kind of like, it all lives in that world. And like, you can certainly see how a power hungry, corrupt maniac will pull over people and take advantage of them and, you know, do all like you hear about it all the time. And so this being done 30 years ago just happens to be, you know, it's just the thing, you know, like, like we said, like in, within systems of, of power, there's always going to be corruption. And so that's kind of what this is about. And then the ending of this movie is just one of the greatest kind of like um, spiritual, like payoffs as like this guy, as horrible as I made him sound, like he gets everything he deserves in this movie. <laughs> it just, it is a great, because it's it's he's at a point where you know he's he's talking to this nun and he maybe he'll turn a corner maybe he won't and then he's got to go out and make one last deal and it is a it is a great great ending to this movie and uh, yeah I fucking love this movie highly recommend it again Zoe Lund uh, co-wrote this movie uh, and this woman was every I think I think it, it, she is basically this character she was this character in real life she was I read up about her a little bit I mean she was a massive heroin addict who produced some really interesting um she was in a couple movies she wrote a couple of screenplays with abel ferrara i think uh but she she ultimately she died of an overdose i mean she was like on the fringes for sure but uh these are the types of these are the types of people that like i'm interested in and the types of movie that i really like so bad lieutenant divorced from the nicholas cage werner herzog movie which was that was a more absurdist take that was a more like <laughs> Just kind of like, let's let's get silly with it. Kind of. This is a very kind of uh, grounded thing. But like that scene where he's just like, like the the Harvey Keitel's dick acts, dude. Like his dick is acting in these scenes. Like he's so good in this movie. <laughs> he's like, he goes out there like more than, you know, like him and like Willem Dafoe, I feel like are, are the type of people who would be A-listers and then do these kinds mm-hmm. of movies as well. You know, like really do it for the craft and for mm-hmm. the craft alone. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the 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 Zoe Lunds uh, are like the un the untold heroes of cinema, just creating this just crazy. Yeah, 
the 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 crazy exactly the um the crazy artists that like are not in it for the fame they're just in it for the fucking art of it whatever it takes you know um so yeah i don't know it's interesting but yeah. i really like bad lieutenant it is a hard like this movie when the you know I, I don't remember who made it originally i don't know if it was i think he like funded it independently but when he was trying to release it like i remember i think there was a thing on the blu-ray where like nobody was going to release this movie yeah. And it doesn't matter that you have Harvey Keitel on board, and there's a couple other good actors in this, I think, um, like known actors from the time. But yeah. like Paul Calderon's in it for he's in Pulp Fiction. He's one of the cops that he works with. But uh, no one was going to touch this thing. Like even the censors were like, to get an NC-17, they had to cut out stuff, cut stuff out of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's one of those situations. So, uh, but I think it all it all serves the 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 higher purpose of the movie, and it's really cathartic mm-hmm. at the end, and it's a really fun movie. Very cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that just about covers everything. Um, my internet died, but we the show must go on. The so. show must go on. Yeah, we'll 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 get those timestamps up, and hopefully, it shouldn't be a problem. So yeah, people know I'll, like I'll, when to skip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely be able to. I think I could probably edit out the, the dead air. Oh yeah, cool. So yeah, um, well, thanks a lot, everybody. So we'll be back again in a bit. Uh, we'll try to you know, continue the series and then talk about some new releases and some director's cuts. Big, uh, yeah, big round of applause. We made it halfway through this thing. We did. We made it halfway through yeah, this thing. Yeah, where we're officially in the top 50, where, at least for me, things are going to get really weird, so. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been really interesting, like, the mix of films. That's what I've, I've enjoyed is, like, the mm-hmm. there's been a lot of, you know, discussion that's, you know, it's not like Completely. we agree on everything. Oh, well, sir. I mean, no one's ever going to agree on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, uh, and it, yeah, some of the like peripheral conversations are, are like really kind of like enriching a lot of the stuff. Basically, you could talk about, you could, you could, I feel like you could um, put a different hundred movies in here and it would still be just as uh, like, you could have these conversations about all, you know, any movies. So Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Yeah. So um, check us out again soon, guys. Thanks a lot for stopping by and uh, hope you have a good one. Yeah. See ya.